CabanaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. Hi everybody, Brian David Marshall here, <laughs> driving with uh, one John Dutch Becker, and uh, this is going to be uh, Top 8 Magic Rebuttals. Hello, Adoring Public. <laughs> Now, John, I know like you'll listen to the Top 8 Magic podcast, and we'll sort of taunt you, Yes. yes. and we'll talk about stuff. And often you've said, you're like, hey, I wanted to say something right there. <laughs> I did. So but I'm now, giving you the opportunity. No, I'm not going to have anything to say. You know? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know what you're I don't know what your topic is. And I just There's no to topic, the right? That's You know what the topic is. There's no topic. I just listen to it in the moment, and uh, it's like it's like hanging out with you, except uh, you have me on mute because you can't hear what I'm saying, <laughs> which is probably your, your favorite state for me. <laughs> Um, so usually I like have it on, like I, I'm a tax attorney, so during tax season I do a lot of accountings for trusts and stuff, and it just makes it much more pleasant to have four hours of top eight magic in the background. Well, that's like a, that's stuff. like a full year's output for us. <laughs> it is. It's like a lot of a lot of twelve, twelve and fourteen minute podcasts. So, uh, so have you been? What have you been doing uh, as far as this draft format? Because I don't get to talk about draft very much. This is actually my secret goal of this segment. Oh, that's fine. Is uh, to talk about limited. Uh, you and I tend to, you know, we, we may disagree on the 41st card and whether or not it belongs there. True. But you know, we, we tend to have a lot of similar ideas about limited. What, what have you been uh, What have you been drafting in Ravnica uh, Allegiance? And where? Are you Magic Online drafting or? I'm in Arena. I draft Arena now. Yeah. Um, like one of the reasons like I, I love Magic and I, I I was frustrated with Magic Online in its old iteration. But when they said, oh, we're going to put out new Magic Online, and now I, I hate it more. Like, I hate the new interface. It drops me constantly. It's hard to find anything on there. Like, I've, I'd never traded a card, bought a card, sold a card, redeemed a card since the new engine came in. I just can't, I can't figure it out. I'm old, by the way, so I can't <laughs> figure this stuff out. Um, but uh, I just went, I played, I played more Hearthstone. I still like Magic, but, um, you know, I have a 14-year-old and uh, I have a general life at home. And it's much easier to say, look, I'm going to play uh, a little bit of Hearthstone because I can play it for 15 minutes or 20 minutes if I need to. And if i got to walk away from a match in the middle, it's not, I didn't throw $15 in a hole, right? And I haven't thrown three hours worth of time that I put into something away if I have to immediately leave. So I like that part. It was, it was rapid. Uh, I mean, it's not as, it's not as co- elegantly complicated a game as Magic. I think Magic is a better game. But for entertainment purposes, I had kind of started playing Hearthstone more uh, than I was playing uh, Magic Online. But then Arena came out, and Arena is, you know, they took what seems like some of the better parts of Hearthstone. You know, the, you can play it for a very limited period of time. You don't have a big investment. You can stop a draft in the middle uh, and, uh, and go about whatever else you have to do. Um, so I started playing, uh, I started playing that. Um, and uh, early on, there were a little some wonky things, like you couldn't do something in, like, the combat prior to attacker's phase. Which, Legion war boss. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is, that the, is that the 4-4 dude that makes two guys? No, that's the that's the uh, 2-2 guy that makes a goblin. Okay. It was like the 4-4, yeah. So you want to kill a guy before he makes a goblin. You can't. There's a 4-4 guy that makes two attacking guys. Oh, sure. Right? And so you'd want to get into combat, but before combat making guys, you want to kill that guy. Whoa. Oops. All right. We're going. Um, uh, you want to make the left up here. Okay. Here? Yeah. Um, we're, we're driving for eggs. You uh, you know, you want to get to combat so they can't do something else pre-combat, and then you want to kill it before it makes the two one ones are going to attack you. Then you want to make the left again. Um, but you couldn't. But now they fixed that. And now they you know have an expanded combat 
things. You can put right. stops up, and, and it's much it's much better that way. And um, you know, I, I would think that I normally wouldn't love best of one because I could, you know, I like sideboarding and I like having options. But it's 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 hard. Like I said, it's Hearthstoney. It's it's pretty quick. It's not that big a deal. It does inform your deck choices a little bit for the particular format. But um, uh, I've been playing Arena instead of uh, instead of Old Magic Online. And uh, what what have you been drafting? Um, well, you know, ever since uh, in, invasion, since invasion, uh, every time I can draft uh, some iteration of the, uh, I guess I'll use post-invasion names for the youngsters, Orzov and Azorius colors. Yeah. Uh, I I tend to do that. Uh, I like black white a lot. I like white blue a lot. And sometimes I'll splash one way or the other if I can. Um, John, John loves a third color. Well, I mean, you know, sometimes you got a strong card and you got to fit it in there, man. <laughs> and I mean, they're giving me all these gates, so why not? I mean, those gates, you know, in this set, those gates all overlap. It's not like uh, we were talking the other day where you want to play, uh, you want to play uh, a color and you don't have any, uh, you don't pick gold, you know, it was a gruel, but you can't splash black because I guess you can't splash black in there. I think it was, I think we were Simic, talking about Simic. Yeah, Simic. Yeah. You don't draft Simic, but you can't splash black really easily because there's no dual land that involves right. either, either thing. Boulevard? Yep. Okay. Um, so it's really, really hard to do. I mean, you can do it if you get one of those gate search spells and throw in a random, you know, sort of, uh, you know, off-color lamb. But, you know, you draw it in your hand, you have the card, screws everything up. It's just much less smooth, much chunkier than if you did it in, uh, in colors that overlap, like, you know, the, the three-color arc for black, white, blue. Right. So I draft black, white a lot. Uh, I like that a lot. Unless, like, unless Gruul is throwing itself at me, <laughs> you know? You open the first one, you're like, oh, there's a... A totally amazing rule card, and yeah. they, they, all the rest of the all black, white, blue options are all—they're all solid. But I mean, like, I take the amazing rule card and see what happens. And then you just like two, three packs in a row. You're like, oh, I get that three, three for two. I got the four, four riot guy for you know for. Uh, it's just like you, you can just get all these really hyper efficient cards, and then you find yourself in gruel, and you're like, okay, I guess I'm just gonna hope to run. Be an Orzov splashing gruel. <laughs> <laughs> I've drafted with you, John. I know you've done this. I did play five color Jugan before, so uh, five color non green Jugan. I think yeah. it was at that moment, which I did 3 yeah. Um Hey, why don't we pause this for a second okay. and run inside. Yeah, so, so we're old men, and uh, we decided to get together for meals. So we're going to go for a diner. We're going to just be like people in diner, like yeah. the older guys, and uh, we'll get a bagel and a schmear. <laughs> All right, we're back. Hey, there's going to be a little background noise, but that's just the Top 8 Magic podcast in general. We had our uh, our food. What did you have? Oh, I had uh, corned beef hash and uh, well-done hash browns a la Brian. Uh, with uh, we split some bacon because we're old and we can't have all the cholesterol individually. Uh, I had some eggs, controversially over hard. Yeah, oh, you gotta you gotta explain that to me because I don't. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I just uh, you know I generally just only get eggs uh, over hard in diners. I mean sometimes I get them scrambled, but it seems kind of boring. Right. Um, but I know that like if you're getting hash and the hash browns, you'd think you'd want them over easy so you can hack them up and get all the oozy stuff in there yes. but you know from eating in Japan and stuff with me that like I'm not a giant fan generally speaking of uh, of gelatinousness um, and I, I will get it on something I'll get it on something. so you don't like a runny yolk basically I don't really generally like okay. runny yolk I'll get, it on, I'll get it on a burger sometimes you, know, you sure. push it down it goes on the edges once in a while but like I just uh, I'll get it on like a Benedict I'll get one but those are kind of like not super runny there's a little runny but I'm not you know I'm not it's not my it's not my wheelhouse and I understand it's a failing but uh, <laughs> but it's just it's just not so I usually get I usually get over hard because they're going to make them I don't frankly a lot of places don't make a good over easy egg they don't do it I'm sure here will yeah for sure but like if I'm going to get it it's going to be like half done I'd rather just have it done you know right. um Although these are pretty good, they were done, but there was a little oozyness in the middle. Like, 
<laughs> give it to him. Maybe he'll get to like it, and we'll change it. Um, and uh, wheat toast and coffee. So yeah. bottomless coffee, which is what we're sitting here drinking. We're testing yeah. that theory. It's like uh, it's like it's like it's like the Seinfeld pot, except it's like curmudgeons in cafe <laughs> drinking coffee. Talking about cards, right? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Curmudgeons and cards getting coffee. There you go. We, we have our podcast now. There you go. Be a good one. Podcast. Be great. I just have to drive to Bergen or whatever every weekend to do it. It's yeah. going to go really well with my wife. <laughs> you know, it's only taken me five months to get up here for you know a night to deal with the to see a tax client and some friends, but um, but uh, yeah, no problem. I, honey, I have to podcast for nothing. I have to go. <laughs> well, I mean, eventually, you know, we could start a Patreon. So. That'd be great. Yeah. That'd be good. I like that. We'll get uh, Reese. I'm sure Reese will support us from Australia. Right? Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, it's worked out for Mike. You know, he's got his side cast. He does. He does. Well, you know, and also pulling, pulling Pat Chapin onto anything is like you know a guaranteed group of followers, right? Yeah, yeah. So I saw Pat when I went. I was in Richie's Richie Fangius's wedding. Oh yeah, uh, in Denver. That's a um, name, a blast from the past. It is a blast from the past. He's still Richie's still Richie. Yeah, friends with him on Facebook now. Actually, he seems. You know, he had such an eclectic wedding party. It was yeah. like Richie has a weird skill of like attracting. He attracts interesting people. Like yeah. he collects interesting people, right? So you know, we had the whole gamut of people. We had a lot of roller derby people. We had people from when he lived in Austin, uh, you know, for a couple of years. He has like his Austin car people. We had a handful of Magic people were there. Like Pat Chapin was there. Pat Sullivan was there. Um, yes, we had a handful of that. And um, for the wedding, I had to. I was in the party. And the, the wedding party attire was white jacket, like dinner jacket, jeans, and cowboy boots, right? And I don't, I, I do have a pair of jeans, but it took me many years to get a pair of jeans. I don't wear jeans. I wear shorts all the time or khakis or, right. or a suit. Um, I do have a pair of jeans now, so that's fine. I've never had a pair of cowboy boots. Yeah, no, had, same. Had literally no urge to own a pair of cowboy boots. Doc Martens weren't allowable. So, Timberlands no, had to be cowboy boots. Man. I probably, if I said, look, I can't get them, I got he probably Richie would Yeah, that's fine, man. But no, you know, it's his wedding. I, I I'll get them. So I, I bought a pair of cowboy boots that I've worn one time um, and looked okay. And uh, and I, I had to go buy a white dinner jacket. I didn't have one, right? I mean, how many people have white dinner jackets sitting in their closet? I do not. Many. You don't, and I don't know when I'm going to wear it again. I'm going to try to find an occasion that requires a white dinner jacket. It's like the one that somebody posted up. One of the people that was in the party is like, oh, "Here, you can get this one. It's like 89 bucks online." I'm like, "What kind of flammable polyester <laughs> thing is that?" It's kind of, like, I'm not a good-looking man under the best of circumstances. Certainly, I'm wrapped in a piece of like wrapped in a piece of flaming jacket. Yeah, slightly off-white flaming plastic, right? Um, so I went to jo- to Joseph A. Bank and I got a dinner jacket that you know fits okay. me and stuff and. So, but now I feel like I should use it. Now I have to find an occasion to say, yeah. hey, honey, let's go somewhere I can wear this white jacket more than one time. Um, so, uh, you know, we went out. I was in Richie's wedding. You could start some sort of Orzov draft club. It's like, you know, <laughs> like those black and white parties that people have, you know, and you got to wear a white jacket I did, I, I, a black shirt. I and, said that. and if they just said tux, you know, I own a tux, so I could have gotten a tux, but no, I had to go there. Actually, I roomed with Joel Priest out there. We had, got a hotel room together because, you know, why, why not? Richie, Richie actually lives in the middle of, like, okay, you think he lives in Denver, he lives in Denver, but he lives in a, in a cool little development, uh, you know, of houses, but it's like 45 minutes west of Denver, um, and the drive is gorgeous, like, you're going down this, like, kind of mountainy road, but, like, there's mountains and evergreens, it's a really beautiful drive out there. I can't imagine how you get in and out of there during where there's any kind of snow, which sure. is like seven months a year. But he has an interesting community out there. He, so he has like you know 
he has, a, he has a Philadelphia Eagles bar he goes to that has people from Philadelphia who are transplanted out there. He's got a brewery that has people there, you know, that uh, he goes yeah. to. He has, um, you know, three dogs kind of randomly run around his property. They're all super cute. He lives in this A-frame with the most gorgeous view. It's uh, it was really it was, it was cool to go out there and see like a bunch of eclectic people to do it. Um, I don't remember the point of the story of being a virgin. I now, don't remember old. the point of the we story are, at that's all. That's the problem with meandering when you get old, <laughs> you know, because you can't find your way down the tangential paths you left. But yeah. maybe we'll get back to it. So I, I think when we when we pulled into the parking lot, we were talking about a little bit about we were talking about draft and we we're talking about the idea of like not being able to splash certain colors in this right, right. format off of gates. And I think the reason we had started talking about salt eye, which is what we were, was because I was like. We were, you and I were talking about the Sauropod Hybrid. Right, Sauropod Hybrid, which is awesome, right? Right. It's a fantastic card. Just a, a um, first pickable quality yeah, no card that leaves you open to being Gruel or Simic, and, yeah, and it's just always good. It does everything you want, right? It only has one green, it's casting cost of 2-2, two, two, it trades early. If you get it late, you can you, know, you evolve it, and it's I big. I gotta tell you, you say it trades early. I, I find my opponents are a little precious with it. They are. I, I mean, I think that's to your advantage. I mean, I think that, that, that they do. Like, I think that you have to totally be willing to let that guy die, right? It means like, oh, hi, precious, wonderful, first pick. I trade you for that 2-2 dude over there when he swings. And then people, I guess, it, I, people don't think you'll trade it. They'll swing, like, a reasonably valuable 2-2 in it. And, like, I just snap trade that thing right away. Because, like, you have to you have to trade it, okay? Because it's a vitamin, okay? Basically is what it is, right? <laughs> Dave Williams used to call, you know, he had a dick with falling a scar and a lot of stuff. And people would kill these little 2-2s he had. And every time he did it, it a falling a scar, he sucked up a, a burn spell. It's like vitamin. Yeah. He had this guy just gave me That's so funny. Some... Hashim used to do that also. Oh, did he? Yeah, yeah. Two, yeah. two every, life, three life, that guy saved me. Every I, time I, you bolt his bird, he'd be like, mmm. Vitamin. <laughs> um... So, like, if you don't, if you cast that guy and you're too pressure, you too, you hold it, you clutch it too tightly. It's all, basically all you do is you cast a uh, a, a two two. You spend two mana to cast a suspend four spell that comes in as six six, right? And it doesn't do anything. That's part of its beauty. Is it comes down on turn two and it can beat down or it can buy you time to develop your other stuff. And if you're in rule, you have good drops at every level. I mean, right. you know, you have three, four, five, are all solid drops that are giant, and you don't really need that guy to be big. I mean, it's nice if you do. Maybe in Simic. You you hold them a little tighter, which is why we were saying you you wish you could put black in some. I, I would love to, I would love to be able to just, without any real cost to anything, be able to play like whatever the. Is it, I don't think it's dead rebels, but it's the double raised dead. Thing. It's a double raised dead that you can um, spectacle right, or for black two. one. Yeah, black yeah. one, yeah. See that's great. That, that guy loves that guy loves the sauropod hybrid. Right. right. Yeah. That would, it would absolutely love it. But you know, it's just impossible. Impossible to do. Yeah. I mean, you really have to go out of your way to get in the deck, right? I mean, you have to have a black source, which you can't do with any sort of, uh, you know, any sort of, without impeding your mana base. You have to play a straight swamp, which you don't want your opening draw, or you have to play a gate. Like you could say, I'm going to play a heavy gate, so I can play the you know, the gate colossus, or um, you know, maybe if you can uh, go on some red gates and get one of those gates ablaze or something, so you have a little sneakiness in your deck. But now you're talking four colors, right? But I mean, if I'm well, throwing in a I've, red I've, black, I've drafted that deck. I, I... Alexander Hain got me when I was in Seattle a couple weeks ago. He just got me on the. He's like, just, just take every gate. Like he's like, here's the philosophy. First thing you take are cards that say the word gate on them somewhere, <laughs> right? So that's the Colossus, that's the Ram, that's the Angel, that's Gates of Blaze, right? Mm -hmm. Then you take any land that says gate. You just take any gate, and then after that you just fill in your curve, and you basically are gonna end up with this four or five color looking mess that. Um, has some really super powerful cards that cheat the curve, like, right. like the Gatebreaker Ram or the Colossus. And you kind of you try to be primarily green, so you can use that uh, lay of the land sort yeah, of. Yeah, you, you, you'll you'll have something that you lean on. You can you can use that to sort of fix your mana a little bit, and then uh, 
the first time I drafted the deck with him, he, he was like over my shoulder, uh, and I ha hadn't won, I hadn't gone 5-0 in a draft queue on Arena with a game stack yet. And uh, I ended up with like, the deck looked super janky. I literally did not think I was gonna win a game. Two copies of Prying Eyes, two copies of Clear the Mind, two Junk Trollers. Um, so really the key to the deck is having a Junk Troll. Col Colossus, Angel, Ram. And uh, and I just, I didn't lose, I don't think I lost a game. It was it was insane. Sometimes a jank is super synergistic. Hey, well, clear the mind. So clear the mind is a card. Have you played with that yet? I don't think so. No. Do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? I don't recall. So it's in this set. It's gay as blessing. It's blue too. Target player shuffles their their graveyard oh, yeah, into their it, library. Yeah. I never I never Draw played it. Yeah, it's it's become a sort of fringe, and the fringe being some really good players' strategy. <laughs> In this draft the format, upper, upper edge of the fringe. Huh? Yeah, yeah, you know, like it, it started with the Andrew Cuneos and the Alexander Haynes, but I'm seeing more and more people playing around with it, where you just have these really, you just play these good cards. So, BBD tweeted a deck last night, Unconstructed, which was a um, Masterminds Acquisition deck. Okay. You know that card, right? The I think we we need a coffee refill. We've reached the bottom. We can't have reached the bottom. It's we, bottomless. Yeah. Uh, and it's just this Masterminds Acquisition deck, and he has to clear the minds in the sideboard, and the deck's just all sorts of ways to sweep the board. And he's, he basically has no real way to win other than ultimately running his opponent out of cards. I do like running my opponent out of cards. But he can just keep... But not in an efficient way. Like, yeah. I, oh, I would no, never you, want to stroke I'm a genius gonna, anybody. You, you, I may have found something you're going to want to cash some of those wild cards <laughs> in for that. I'll send you the picture of the deck. It's... It's very spicy. I mean, usually, historically, I just play 41 or my cards, my opponent's yeah. cards that way. But now, you know, when we started doing that way back when, um, there really weren't anything that drew extra cards unless you had a dedicated card drawing spell. Yeah. So, but now with cantrips and stuff, uh, you know. Oh, man. Do you remember, like, you'd have one, one cantrip in your deck and you're like, I can't play this. <laughs> I can't cast this. Like, I don't know just, if I can break the I just mulliganed. Yeah. I did that. I, t I told you a story about playing against Bob at, in, a, in a money draft at a tournament. Did I tell you that one? No, I don't think okay, so. Okay, so I'm playing against. Uh, we, there used to be a and giant. And even if you did, just tell it again for the podcast. Real. There used to be a, gi a giant a giant money draft scene. It was really great. All like all, all terrific players. And a lot of players who weren't known as terrific players then, but like to draft and are terrific players now. Like our, our overnight money draft group was included like Herbert Holtz. Eric Froelich, Dave Williams, uh, TGO, who was you know always great, um, you know Hacker, Freeman, you know all these like all these really good people, right? That would stay up all night and draft. Right. So that's really what we like to do is draft and hang out with our friends. And you could probably have beer there if you wanted. How, to was, how was Truck Bowie in that crowd? I didn't Truck Truck didn't travel to all the pro tours. Okay. He was more West Coast. I mean, when he was there, he would play, and Truck was fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you have other people who would come yeah, in. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, uh, Fedge would play if he was there, and um, you know the only. You know, and, and, and it was like, you'd have a lot of other people who would come and be willing to challenge you, which was great. Like, my favorite thing to do with Tom Kelleher, I don't know if you remember Tom Kelleher. Of course Tom, I do. Tom and I uh, played a lot of uh, magic together, and Tom and Ed Linsky and I were a team for a while in Philadelphia. And Tom Tom could drink, and I have been known to drink as well. Uh, we can, you know, have our beer both pretty big. We can, you know, with a pretty tight tolerance. We love draft and money draft. So um, we would, um, when you when you were permitted uh, or not actively forbidden from having alcohol at an, at a venue, 
um, we would sit down at a table kind of way in the back of the room. We'd take out like, you know, a 12-pack of beer, a case of beer. We'd put it on the table, and we'd say, does anybody want a money draft? And we would, you know, crack a beer, and we'd start drinking and hanging out. I mean, we'd keep it below the table. We're not trying to put anybody's faces. Can't do that now, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Probably couldn't do it then. <laughs> maybe couldn't do it then, but like we said, we, we would just put it out so some people could see it, and then we'd hide it, and, right. uh, you know, as long as you weren't making noise, you kept it out of the way, it was, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning to 4 o'clock in the morning, nobody really cared that much, you used to be able to play all night. And people could not wait to money draft us while we were drinking beer, thinking, oh, they're drinking beer, they're going to be terrible. But like that, you know, you know me, if, if protests are held in bars, I would be Kai <laughs> Booty, right? <clears throat> so I just I have to, I just, if you have a mandatory drinking when you're playing in the Pro Tour, I'm, I'm good, right? I haven't been able to work out that's how it's going to work yet. So if you've, if you've ever, you know, read coverage, which I've written, which is what we used to do before there was video coverage, uh, I would often refer to these drafts as late night drafts late or, night drafts, or yes. after hour drafting was I think my preferred euphemism right. because there's so much magic history and culture tied up in the money draft. Half the half the good stories that I know of all come from money draft or yeah. late night draft yeah. uh, at one event or another. Just watching somebody do this to that or playing it yourself and like I gotta tell you, I mean, people and I, I appreciate that people were willing to take a shot at something. You had you had a bunch of high profile teammates like you know if there was a team that was uh, was Gabe Sang and Aor Freeman and Hacker, I, you know that's a team. Even if you even if you lose them, which which you will. I mean, we didn't know right. it, but you, you will, right? <laughs> For sure, right? <laughs> but you will you're probably almost surely lose to them. Um, you get, you, it's like you got a piece of history. You can tell everybody what you were doing. You played Igor Freeman or you played Hacker and he did this thing. And, like, you have a, you just bought yourself a story for your whatever, however many bucks I, you put the listen, table. I, and I tell you what, when you're playing them and you do it all night and you have you have uh, Bob Maher hand you 20 bucks, at the end you're like, that's the sweetest 20 bucks I can remember making. You know? I, I have not beaten Bob very often in my life, but I have. And when I have, it, feels good. it is memorable. I, I can I can remember very specific details about that it feels that good. I can't about a lot of other matches. Well, this is one time when I was playing Bob. Okay, so we're playing and we're playing. Uh, you know, we're both playing controlly sort of decks. And we sit down, we play, we play, we play, we play. And I'm looking and I'm counting. I'm counting libraries. Um, and I'm looking. And I'm like, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna get. I think I'm gonna lose. I think I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get decked. You know. Uh, and uh, I, I did. I did get decked by Bob the first game. Right. Um, <clears throat> Or maybe maybe I didn't get that by the first. It was close. It was something else. I usually play 41, or you know. But in this case, I, maybe he killed me right at the end. But it's very close. Our decks are super well matched. The second game, we side where we put stuff in, we take stuff out, we do whatever else, and uh, you know, I shuffle and Bob shuffles and he looks and he goes, shakes his head. I'm shaking my head right now, making a you know a, a sad face, kind of a despondent <laughs> face, and he goes in. You know, he ships through the mulligan, right? And I'm like, nice, Bob's mulliganing. Okay, I'm gonna hey, get hey, him. Hey, can we get more coffee? Like, can we get like a piece of cheesecake? Yeah, just plain cheesecake. Plain cheesecake. Yeah. You're an evil man. So, <laughs> um, so uh, you know, he mulligans, and I'm like, nice. I got Bob in the mulligan. I'm gonna be able to get a game back here. And we play. And we go about the game. We do blah blah blah, and we're getting all the way through. And I'm on. That's how we get into a stalemate. I can't get over him. And it's about 20 or 25 turns into the game, and I count libraries, and I said, holy shit. I'm like, I'm live one, right? Okay. I can curse. Nice. Uh, so holy shit. I'm like. I think Bob beat me by mulliganing. He just mulliganed, so he had one more card in his deck, right? <laughs> and I didn't notice it. He didn't vote anything in. He kept 40 cards, right, when he was doing it. But I'm waiting. I'm telling him, trying to figure out. And, you know, he wins the game. He decks me, right? And afterward, I said, I'm like, did you did you mulligan just to put an extra card in your deck, Bob? Like, did you beat me when you mulligan? He just kind of smiled and shrugged a little bit. And Bob honestly just beat me by mulliganing whatever was in his opening <laughs> hand to go to six. And I lost. And I'm like, that was... 
uh, to this day, I'm like, that's brilliant, dude. I was, I was gleeful that he was mulliganing, right? And he's probably sitting there like, oh, poor fool, you know? <laughs> you, you know not what you're celebrating, you know, because I just got there, so. I did not win that mortal. yeah. So, no, Bob's great to play, though, and he's uh, he's uh, obviously a wonderful player. He's good, good to money drafts. But money draft was just, just so fun. I mean, it was, uh, uh, I mean, many of my best friends came from there. You know, we have the, the five-color Drew Gann story we were talking about before where we were all playing in Florida, you and me and Mike. And um, even at, on the, when we were on the coverage team, you know, the coverage team would get together after coverage, a long day of coverage, and stay up till 2 or 3 in the morning drafting. Yeah. Usually just for fun, no money, just, right, just yeah. for fun yeah, and cards. Yeah, you for the cards. Play for uh, the just cards. Just cards. Uh, and that was like, I think that's almost everybody's favorite part of the Pro Tour. You know, it, was, uh, uh, it's, it? it certainly kept people doing coverage <laughs> <laughs> longer than it's economically reasonable, too. Because, I mean, but, but that becomes like, uh, you know, family to you, right? You know, that's, that, that, and not just talking about coverage, we're just talking about in general, like, the... You know, that culture of just playing games, stay up late. I mean, we're talking about, so we're in a diner, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're talking about this place open 24 hours. Um, you know, it's been here forever. And to me, this isn't a diner I grew up in, right? Because I, I grew up in Brooklyn, not here, but this is like every diner I grew up in. And, you know, I would go to a diner late at night and hang out and talk about comics or talk about games. And you, you have similar kind of experiences with... Oh, we did. You know. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we used game growing up. We didn't have magic to play. We played D&D &D or board games right. or stuff. Um, and our store would close at some point, although we had a really a really accommodating store owner when we were in Old Town at a place called Little Soldier, which doesn't exist anymore. But he um, he would let us stay. He'd like lock up on Friday night, and he had one person there who kind of did a few hours in the store, and he'd say, as long as you're here, it's fine. And we could stay as late as we wanted and lock up and leave the store and, and that sort of thing. We, we had a comic store like that. Which was really, really nice to have a place where you're, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, and you can stay out on Friday night basically all night. Your parents are like, well, you're in somewhere with 10 people. All right, that's fine, I guess. You're not wandering the streets, so um, it was nice to have that. And we played, you know, every weekend there. It was pretty cool. But we would go uh, afterward. We didn't really have a lot of diners in Northern Virginia where I was in Alexandria. We had uh, we went to Denny's, uh, which is like you know kind of kind of industrial multi-state diner. Sure. But I mean, they had you know uh, they had basic breakfast food and some fries and a patty melt, whatever else you had and stuff. And we would go in and we take a corner booth that had like eight seats around it, and we play whatever board game, supremacy or uh, you know. Uh, um, what's the card game about thermonuclear war? Global thermonuclear war, I think it's called. Okay. Um, Illuminati, like maybe? We play Illuminati, whatever it was. We just play whatever games. And we'd sit there from whenever we left the store until 3, 4, 5 in the morning. And with the exception of an occasional manager who was new and didn't really understand that, we'd sit in the car and we're like, look, we're not going to cause any trouble. Nobody's drinking. Um, we're going to order coffee, fries, desserts, and stuff basically all night. Um, so just leave us alone in the corner. We'll tip really well when we leave. Um, so you really need to move us out of the table to put in like three drunk, boisterous people who are going to yeah. cause you guys a lot of a lot of trouble. Um, we just uh, we would just go to Denny's, which isn't exactly the same, but that was kind of our little hangout that we could go to and you know, drink coffee and, and play games. So although like I like I think I like the diners. The diners food is obviously significantly better right. uh, than there. This just didn't because it really didn't exist. It's more like a Philadelphia to New York sort of. Sure. Uh, the, I mean, there's a, there's a big diner culture in D.C. Yeah, that's actual downtown DC. Yeah, yeah, I was say it's very specific DC because if you if you read any George Pelicanos, who's a great crime author, mm -hmm. who uh, was the story editor for The Wire. Yeah, no, he doesn't. He's he's more he's more Baltimore centric, but he he, but does, he, he does downtown but, DC as well. Yeah, but his family is of Greek descent, and oh, of, and and they very are very aware of diner culture, yes, yes. and so diner culture plays a big part in his books, especially his books set in 
um, the 60s and 70s. I don't, know that we, I, don't, I don't know that we generally, as people, appreciate the fact that I don't know that we'd have much of a diner culture if it weren't for Greek Greek people. Every yeah. one of these that we go to is either is either now or in the past. Many of them, most of them, have been run by a Greek family. I mean, when I when I grew up, you would just call it a Greek diner. Right, that's yeah. what it was. Yeah. The 24-hour diner wasn't called the 24-hour diner; it was called the Greek diner. Right, and that's a little different. And it didn't like, matter which one it was. Like they were all the Greek. There's that other diner where you go and you just get breakfast food. And they have like, like I said, a patty melt, a hamburger, and breakfast that's food. Like a coffee shop, but those were often like in I know in DC, those are often also were were often Greek. Yeah, I mean we were. We were they were here. they were just like a smaller footprint and a smaller menu. When we came in, we were commenting that we thought this was a Greek diner because of the menu on the menu board. The specials board coming in has uh, has uh, Hungarian goulash. Mexican pork chops, uh, a Greek, uh, like a Greek kind of uh, salady sort of thing. That's like five cultures worth of food just on the specials board. Yeah. And when you sit down, obviously the menu is about 40 pages long with glossy pictures or anything you can get from anywhere. It's not on there. I could say, hey, I don't know, could you make me uh, like say pad thai with spam? And they'd probably be like, yeah, we can do that. And they would they would make it. And yeah. like, the thing about diapers is like, it's none of it's awesome, but it's exactly what you want it, want it to be. Like when you get the breakfast food, it's like it's exactly here's, what you want it to be. Here's the thing for me. A Florentine omelet, which is spinach and feta cheese. Which is what you got. Florentine omelet, a toasted bagel, and uh, burnt home fries. Yeah, you got to get them That, that to me well, is yeah. just like the perfect <laughs> diner meal. And I like here they have hot sauce instead of Tabasco. I hate it when you ask for hot sauce and they burn yeah. you Tabasco. That's a totally different sauce. I mean, I like them both, but I mean, I really actually want like, you know, a, a Chulura's uh, yeah. patio, you know, whatever they have here is it's good. So I appreciate the actual hot sauce. I, I, think, I think that... Uh, you, there's like three essential places in your life as you go through, right? There's, there is, or certainly for for us, right? There's the, the shop, right? Mm -hmm. Which is yeah, record, store. record book, Records, game, whatever your thing comic, is. like sometimes all of the above. Uh, there is the place, right? Which is the place you go to eat and hang out with your friends, and and then there's, and then there. <laughs> Cheesecake's gonna I'm not supposed to eat it, but I, I know you. A you piece like, of cheesecake eight <laughs> inches in front of my face. Like, oh my god, it's really. Good I'm not supposed to say. I probably you know on the like the random off chance that somehow Mary Beth has her RSS feed set up for <laughs> curmudgeons with cards drinking coffee. <laughs> you shall find out that you had a, a bite of cheesecake. Um, How could I resist? It was eight inches <laughs> in front of me. Who does that, Jerry? Um, <laughs> But yeah, and then and then the bar, right? The dive, you know, like the, the spot you just yeah. that's got your music on the jukebox, and you know yeah, they and carry your brand of bourbon or your drink or your you know beer. And or how, your, how traumatic is it when, when you lose one of those things? Like you, you lost St. Mark's Comics, right? Just recently. Yeah, I mean St. Mark's is not my my go-to place. I grew up, and St. Mark's played a big part of my life. I actually, it's very funny. Went went there the other night on th Thursday. I was in the city. Uh, hang out with my group of friends at our old man bar, right? That we go to, and we were my friend Tony. Is that the one that has a good burger. Is that the place we went for burgers and uh, no, 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 no. This, this is just a bar. Um, my friend Tony and I. Tony's my oldest friend, um, and we we would grow up. You know, we grew up in Brooklyn, and we would go into the city, and we would go and hang out and do stuff and get into trouble. And one of the first comic we would go to Forbidden Planet, and then. Like off the, you know, Forbidden Planet was like the mecca of science fiction and all sorts of cool stuff. And but then St. Mark Comics was sort of the hipster version of that that we discovered, you know. Okay. And so we would start going into Mark's comics, and you'd get all these kind of like cool indie books, and you know the. We start looking Cerberus. Yeah, yeah, or, um, or or even just like you know like Peter Bag and Dan Klaus stuff, and but. 
it, it was just this this kind of cool store and we knew a lot of people who worked there. And eventually over the years the store just never kind of evolved. Right? It was always the same store, which is great, but at the same time um, it was it was replaced by for me uh, as that sort of haven. It was a haven briefly for me. Uh, Jim Hanley's universe became okay. that spot for me in New York and you know, so but but I actually went into St. Mark's on Thursday because you know they're closing. They've got the for rent sign up on front, which is just like heartbreaking to see. And I saw you tweeted the picture. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and I was glad Mitch was there. Mitch Cutler, who who runs the store and has run it for thirty six years or whatever, and uh, he and I. We, we didn't... What was, it, what was your vibe in there? Was it like you went in and you're sitting Shiva, or was it like... It was a little bit like that. I was like, hey, you know, he was like, first of all, he was shocked to see both of us, because we probably haven't seen him in there, and I've gone in there periodically, but he probably hasn't seen us in 20 years, and he and I ended our... We were friends, and then we kind of, like, over the years, one thing kind of, like, eroded and finally kind of broke. I had sold him tickets to Live Aid. <laughs> okay. This is going to be really... And uh, and I got the tickets from my lawyer, who her husband was one of the people responsible for organizing Live Aid. So I feel pretty confident in the chain of custody of sure, these tickets. Um, and uh, your, I your provenance is solid. Yeah, and I was I was very young. Uh, I know it seems weird that I have a lawyer, but it's, <laughs> so that's a story for another podcast. Um, and. Uh, I wasn't. I just wasn't allowed to go. My mother was very, and it wasn't that I wasn't allowed to go as much as my little brother, who was diabetic at the time, wasn't allowed to go. And that that was the plan. And and I just had a fit of pique, sold my tickets. I'm like, all right, I'm not going. I had four tickets. I sold two to someone. I sold two to Mitch. And uh, and then when I when I, you know, after the weekend, I'm like, so how was it? Oh my God, I can't believe I should have gone. You know, I should, he's like, he's like, fuck you. You sold me counterfeit tickets. I'm like, I didn't sell you counterfeit tickets. I, I know where I got the tickets from. He's like, well, you know, a cop stopped us, asked to see our tickets, and said they were counterfeit and confiscated them. I think cop just got two free <laughs> tickets to Live Aid. <laughs> like, I, I was like, yeah, everyone wants to go to Live Aid, even the cops, right? But he he, he just... He just insisted they were counterfeit. He insisted he that they were counterfeit. Or... I mean, I was, I was a little bit of a... Look, I was, it wouldn't have been surprising was, was, if you sold him counterfeit. It would be surprising, <laughs> but but I was a, I was a teenager. I was very young. I started my own comic book company. I had a reputation as something as a hustler, like in the, in the sense of like I was always fast talking and trying to do stuff and trying to get projects and hey fund this or work with me on this or sort of my my reach was always a little bit beyond my grasp. Mm-hmm. Trying to do stuff, you know, like, like Howard Shaken to do the cover of one of our comics. You know what I mean? Like I was always fast talking trying to do stuff and trying to put stuff together. And I think had a reputation as being street smart or something. You know what I mean? Like I think people always just assumed more that's that you, that you insidious yeah. qualities. To some, so yeah, he just believed it was something I do. And I was like, look, I'm telling you, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not, you know. And so, and then eventually that kind of eroded our friendship. And like you, you could have said, well, I didn't sell you kind of tickets, but I'll get your money back if you want. But then that's like an admission that you did sell them right, kind of tickets. Yeah, right? no, yeah, and plus, on principle, you're like, I'm sorry, I absolutely didn't. I mean, if I, if you had showed me and said, hey, look, I tried to get in. They said this is the problem with the tickets. Right. Them back. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, maybe, but no, the cop no. just took your tickets. Too. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I went in there and I was, I was glad he was there, and I just, you know, I was like, look, you know. I, I know we didn't always, uh, you know, the bulk of the time we've known each other, we haven't gotten along super well, but I appreciate that you put built this place that, you know, was 
A, very important to me at some point in my life, but it's been for 36 years super important. There's a lot of people who are tour culture, really. Yeah, you know, and, and, and for sticking with it. And it's a thankless job sometimes. You know, it's, you know, running a game store or a comic store or a bookstore or a record store or any of those things. It's just like, it's, an it's not, a, it's it's not something you're doing to make a ton of money. Um, you're always managing inventory. Inventory is always teetering over you. You're you're one trend away from making money, but then the next trend, you're like, ah, oh, crap. The, Damn, I have all these pogs. I have all these pogs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or these black and white comics in the case of Mitch, or you know, Batman merchandise. If the second Batman movie doesn't hit, you know, like, it's it's a it's a pretty brutal business. And so I was just, I actually got really teary eyed and was. Uh, very emotional talking to him and just wanted to thank him for what he did because I do feel like it's pretty you... close to divine. He was he was he seemed to really be shocked, you know. But again, he, had, he hasn't talked to me since I was a kid. Yeah, well, you took the time to come <laughs> down there and see yeah. the internet. So, you know, it was nice to do. Yeah, yeah. And I bought a book. I bought a Steve Ditko hardcover. You know, I was like fifty percent off. It was thirty percent off, but <laughs> everyone else got fifty. I got thirty. <laughs> so trying to make some of that Live Aid money back. <laughs> At least the but, interest on the Live Aid. Yeah, money. yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah. those things are so important. I mean, like, I, I don't know. I mean, it's always it's always going to be there, right? I mean, the comic store. I worked in a comic store when I was a kid, like most most of us did, like who were in that and in, the, the same sort of things we're into. Uh, and the reason you worked there is it was it was a great job. You didn't get paid anything almost, right? But you got to hang out with people that liked all the same stuff you did and talk to people. And also, when people came in, you had a position of authority as a teenager. Like they're asking you about comics and what you think and where I can find the stuff, and maybe you could set something aside for them. That feels really good. And you get a discount on your comics, which is incredibly important because you're a teenager. I didn't have that much money, and if I get forty or forty to sixty percent off books, like I could get a lot more books. Is it is it bizarre to me that? Like, given, like, something where you could just remove money from the equation, right? Like, you, you don't have to worry about making a living or doing anything else. Like, that the thing that I... And given all the other things you could choose to do that are, like, meaningful to the world, the job that I would choose is working on the floor of a comic shop. I it to me is the most emotionally satisfying even even i love neutral ground I, and it's second most satisfying thing in terms of that community but like working in a comic store and talking to people about what they like as a, what 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 entertains them what transports them what is such a lightning bolt in their lives like oh you know and steering people in the direction of other books and other things that they care about i i love that i love that i would I would do that just, but it's but it's miserable. <laughs> it's just a miserable job. <laughs> you know, financially, it's like you can't really make money doing that. And, the, and one of the places you um, like, I don't know how you feel when one of those places closed. That was like that that seminal, one of your foundation places, yeah. basically. I mean. It's still there in your head. It still exists in your oh, head, yeah. right? Um, so, like, I'm, I can always go back to Little Soldier in my head, and I see the big table and running ten people in a game. I see Troy over here. I see Garrett over here. I see Tim at the end of the table, like, painting miniatures while he's playing. Doing it That's all, like, very vivid to me. And it always makes me smile when I do that, because that was, like, a really, you know, cool part of my, my childhood. Um, and I miss not having, I don't have a gaming group now. I, mean, I moved from D.C., I lost my gaming group about 18 years ago. Uh, I used to call my friends up and say, did you guys game on Saturday, Sunday? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, tell me what happened in the game. They're like, hey, this and this. I'm like, no, no, no. Tell me what happened in the game. Like, walk me through it. And I would just like, like tell me we did this, we went to this, this is the encounter, this is the battle. I wanted to, I just needed to vicariously experience it. Because I, I, I had gamed, like, literally, like, regularly since I was, you know, I got my first D&D box set with a little blue book in it and the yeah. hydro-colored dice. Um, when, from that point until 
you know, after I had, uh, you know, basically gone to law school, right, up until that point, I gamed. And then in law school, I didn't game as much, did some other stuff because there weren't a lot of D&D players there. Moved back to D.C., gamed for a few more years, got into magic. Um, and then when I moved to Philly, all gone. I mean, I didn't get, I didn't, didn't do it at all. I've never been able to get a group that I could do on a regular basis. I don't have a board gaming group. I have a closet full of board games. I still buy games regularly on Kickstarter that look cool that I want to someday play. Right. And the only, the only gaming outlet I have is, um, you know, once a year, a bunch of these same friends and I and a group of people from Radford, because a couple of them went to Radford, had a gaming group there. We all go down to Wintergreen and, you know, near Charlottesville in Virginia, and we get a big house with like eight or nine bedrooms. We go down on a Thursday and we stay till Sunday and we just game all weekend basically. It used to be ostensibly golf and gaming because it was a little easier for some of us to sell if we were going golfing. Um, but then now nobody golfs at all. At all, just yeah. like we just game and drink beer. Although now it's more bourbon than beer, and the food is better. We always have like a vegetarian or vegan yeah. option. Yeah. We make chili and vegetarian chili. Um, so you know, it's got moved toward as we get older. We've gotten a slightly healthier Ma- and more conscious. Magic's our generation's golf. <laughs> um, so, you know, we do that, and I, lo- I love that weekend. I look forward to it. I missed it for the first time in 10 years last year because uh, uh, my daughter's birthday is the week before we go, and uh, she likes Panic at the Disco, and we've gone to a Panic at the Disco concert once, and we've gone to go again. Um, and I got the tickets, and I didn't even check the date on them. I just bought tickets the minute they came available, and it was that weekend with the oh, tickets. No. So I'm like, well, I'm going to go to the concert with my daughter. You know, I'm going to take her and her friend instead of going down. So I missed it, but I'm really looking forward to going back this year. But when one of those things goes, I mean, do you feel like, you know, have you have you lost some foundation, or do you just stay nostalgic and it lives on in your I, mind? I, I'm able to sort of keep those places in my mind, and I think there's a continuity to those places. So you know, like uh, JHU. Um, so so for me, Jim Hanley's universe. I, I was just I was listening to a podcast with some of the people I used to work with, Jim Hanley's the other day, and uh, it was so transporting. So when I found Jim Hanley's universe, this was a comic store. I'd, I'd been to Forbidden Planet, been to St. Mark's, but you know, during normal hours within the thing of being a customer, right? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I have a comic book company. I'm making comics. I'm working with this guy Evan Dorkin, who does Milk and Cheese and Pirate Corn. Uh, really, really, Beast of Burden is his big comic that he does these days. Uh, one of my really good friends now, but at the time, someone I was just working with, we were trying to do a book with. Him. And he's like, very, we were very, you know, like that, you know, that thing we have with great friends, sometimes we rub each other the wrong way at first. Okay. Yep. And so like that kind of like. No, I know that exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he was like, well, you know, if you want to, if you want to sign that contract, you got to come, you got to come down to Jim Hanley's universe. You know, I'm working, you know, he was working at a comic shop and, uh, I was like, well, you know, what time? He's like, it doesn't matter. We're, we'll be there all night. I'm like one in the morning. He's like, yes, yep. we'll be there. And I'm like, all right. And again, so like my comic book experience has always been, you know, more like in the traditional space of when comic book stores are open. Sure. So Tony and I, who's my partner in the company, my old friend, we drive out to Staten Island, which is like a hall. We yeah. get out there and it's like one in the morning and we're down in New York. Or no, we're in, the high, uh, in Richmond. So it was Eltingville, actually, which is the Eltingville Club, which is a comic he does down there. Uh, Eltingville on Richmond Avenue, and we're like, and there's like a Chinese restaurant, there's something else, and then there's this comic store. We're like, okay, I guess we're supposed to go in there. And John, I'm telling you, if you've ever seen those Heineken ads, where some guy opens a door. It's all secret party. It's like a secret party inside. It's just like, I knock on the door, and someone opens the door, 
and all of a sudden you hear One Step Beyond by Madness playing. It's a good intro. People are playing Adam's Family Pinball Machine. Someone's playing Smash TV, right? People are arguing about Robert Anton Wilson and the Illuminatus trilogy. <laughs> like, I'm never right? leaving. I am never, <laughs> you know, there's girls here. Oh my God, right? You know, like, it was, it was transformative, right? I mean, it, it literally changed the course of my life. Because uh, then you know, I end up just working at Jim Hanley's Universe periodically. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the periods after I sell my comic book company, uh, running events, that's how I find magic, that's how I meet so many of my, you know, best friends from that era, then, you know, that store leads me into magic, into the people that I run Grey Matter, and the people I open neutral ground with are ex-Jim Hanley people with me, and, you know, and that's now all these people like you, and like Mike, and all the people I've met since then, you know, I don't know that I meet them if I don't go through that one door in the middle of the night. Yeah, no, I... I, I and so there, there's a continuity. There's always... A, and, and, and no matter what happens... And so Jim Hanley's is no longer Jim Hanley's universe. It's now JHU. Jim sold the store to two of the people who work there. But they keep it going. And, you know, obviously the initials, you know, people my age... You know, still call it, We still call it Jim Hanley's. But it's JHU now. Sure, yeah, we used to actually... See, we do this a lot because we're old. Um, like you probably heard us when we're talking about different cards. We have a whole different lexicon of cards, right? So I don't know what the gate search spell is, right? So we just the which say, one? The search costs one green. Oh, sure, sure. Open the gates, right? Open the gates, right? But we don't say open the gates. We're like, oh, you cast that lay of the land spell, right? Because like <laughs> yes. we just take whatever. I, did, the, I think I did call it lay of the land. Yeah. Was that on the cast or were we just no, talking? No, I think that was on the cast. But I mean, but I knew exactly what you meant because that's my era. So it's, it's hard for me to talk about magic sometimes with people who aren't old because my card references are all like, oh, I don't know the name of the new card, but it's it's like this one. And the card's like 12 years old. It's never been reprinted. But anybody right. play back then, yeah, you know, you played it, you had it in this deck, and, and it worked. Right. But So if you hear us reference, like, cards you've never heard of before, um, it's because that's that's where our brains are, and we're not up on all the names. Brian, probably more so than I am. Well, did, did you hear Mike's theory on the last podcast? No, no, what he said. Oh, Mike, Mike, Mike has every card um, broken down. It's either a Baneslayer, <laughs> a Tarmogoyf, or a Muldrifter. That's it. That's, that's all creatures are. Okay. And uh, I kept trying to fig- figure out what an opt is, but is, he, he, he just didn't want to talk about it. What, what does he say about a bad creature? What's that? It's still going to be one of those three. It's, it's just, just a bad It's one just going to be on the spectrum. Gotcha. So he's like, this is a bad this. Yeah. So or this he, is a good this. Yeah. yeah. And then there's there's hybrids. There are there are Mulgoifs. <laughs> and Bane, Bane Drifters. Drifters. Yeah. I like Bane Drifter. That sounds yeah, neat. I would, that sounds I would play the fuck out of a Bane Drifter. <laughs> First pick all day. Um... So I, we, I, we, this whole conversation started the other day. I think when we were talking about what we were drafting on Arena, uh, I know people are on the best of one, best of one stuff. They don't like it. I don't, again, a lot of you people probably have no idea who I am or ever. My, but I play forty-one cards a lot, which I know. I, I which is often know. called Beckering. Beckering, right? Because of John Becker. And you told the, the Seth Byrne Becker double Becker triple Becker story Becker. several times. Yeah. Several times. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> um, but we were just talking about what kind of cards we thought were underrated or overrated. And I, you know, before I did my draft, I went to Channel Fireball and read through the, you know, the previews just to see because I hadn't read the spoiler for the set yet. I just wanted to have some general idea about what was in the set. So I just uh, took a look, and there was a card there that I really liked, but they didn't seem to really like. It's called Ill-Gotten Inheritance, right? It's uh, it's a very Beckery card. It takes a million years to work. It's doesn't do anything when you bring it into play. Um, it's really slow. So it's like all the yeah. things that I embrace in a deck, right? Um, 
in no way could it be used in a combo deck. You know, all sorts of good stuff. So, um, so I happened to in my I did I did a sealed deck first just to kind of learn, you know, what was where, you know, what the common concentrations were, and I could build a couple different things. And in my sealed pool, I had two ill-gotten inheritances. So I'm like, well, I'll play this thing. It seems it seems all right. And it's my first sealed. I don't really care how it does. And I killed everybody with ill-gotten inheritance. You know, all the entire turn. Just I would do other stuff, but I would just ill-gotten inheritance, and they would just die. Basically, it took a while, but yeah, you know, and it used to be like I would think that oh, you know, they're at 15. This isn't gonna this is going to take a long time. It just happens. I mean, they're dead. They just don't know they're dead. It's like the you know the the, uh, the Kill Bill five step thing. It's like you're <laughs> you're dead. You just don't realize you're dead. It's, it's going to yeah. take a little while, but the more times this happens to you, I'm making a little five finger, five finger death punch. Right. The more things that happen, of course, in reality, it only happened once. But the more times you experience it in the match with the old gotten, you're like, you're going to come down. You're going to be 15. You're like, 15, man. That's not a lot of life for that thing, man. <laughs> even though it's going to take a million years to get out. Like every hit you take with that on the board, you take three from a creature. You're like, well, you start thinking about turn. things. You, you know, every, every every point in the game, you're like, okay, I've got them on a four turn clock. If nothing changes, right? And then they yeah. play that. And you're yeah. like, oh, wait a minute, okay, so I'm still going to get the same amount of damage in over the next four turns, but then they're going to gain some life. I'm going to lose some life. This is going to happen. Yeah, like you throw down, you have the thing on the board, you throw this Copa Vampire down, which is like, you know, a stocky sort of common, whatever. Um, you throw the guy down. That's a Baneslayer, by the way. A Baneslayer? Yeah. yeah. I, it gains you life. It attacks. It's kind of Baneslayer, yeah. It doesn't fly, but it has, like, it's whitish. <laughs> um... But like, and, and you know, we were talking about this earlier with the with the Viscopa. It's like swing with that guy is great. Like people like people hate it when you swing with that guy. They they don't think you'll trade it, and you always trade it basically yeah. for anything but a one one. Anything that has a two power on it or a three toughness, just trade it. Um, if they swing, you just crack back for three. So they oftentimes won't swing. If you swing, they don't want to block it. They're like, but I have a beautiful creature I want to keep, and I don't want to lose to that stupid vampire. And you gain three life anyway, uh, and they almost can't not block it because you just gain three life and you negate their whole next turn. So it's it's, it's really good in a deck that has say ill-gotten inheritances in it <laughs> because it pushes you up and gives you more time and it makes people not want to attack or block it's, it's good in there and good, good on your curve too um so um i started playing it more like and i i, I drafted I, I drafted like i said before i got wars all a lot i'm like in the white blue uh, black spectrum most of the time um and I, I'm surprised at how much I get it. I get the Elgon inheritances, but I guess we talked about that's probably the algorithm that, like, you know, the the algorithm doesn't like them as much as it should like them, probably. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. But I don't know how much that changes. I mean, it, should, it seems like it should change. Somebody's got to go in there and update the algorithms periodically, right? Yeah. I mean, how does, does, it, does it happen automatically? Or I don't they know. Say every don't every know. hundred thousand games will go and, and I, move I, things around. I, I I I've heard people talking about it online. They assume that they get updated. I guess maybe maybe they talk about it in the update notes, which I never mm. read. Right? Like I just I just kind of want to play Magic. I've never been a you know, like I know there's car guys who you know want to get under the hood of the car. Right. You like, just know. I, I, know, no, I, just, I just I mean I, I, I just want to call my Uber. You know. <laughs> um, so there are a couple cards like that. Like um, we're talking about advanced biomancy, right? Uh, I or love apply, applied, applied biomancy, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like that thing. I think that thing's great. It's a great card, right? I, I mean, love that card. I mean, you're Mr. Simic, so I know. Um, and you can get you can get those ninth. Tenth. Oh, I, I can I, against. I mean, I haven't drafted that much this week. I'm playing a lot of more constructed, um, but. Boy, you could wheel that card, right? You're like, you oh, do. okay. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to take this Aramunculus, and then I'm going to get this Biomancy back out of this pack. You'd be happy with either of those cards at first, right? Yeah. yeah. And like when you're playing on Arena, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. like, I mean, it may be different. I played. I was. I was up here visiting uh, some people last night, and I ended up doing a draft with Jamie Park. Um, and he, we actually, he he played on regular old Magic Online, like 
the old men. Yeah. And that one was, okay, we're going to play against actual people because people will draft and we'll see what things are. We, we uh, opened up that uh, ridiculous black-white enchantment. Ethereal Absolution. Ethereal Absolution, which is like, outrageous, right? right? So we're like, okay, clearly ours off. Took that what, what, what old card would that be? I don't, I don't know what you relate to. It's like a, it's like a mix of things. What's the, it's the engineered the, play? What's the thing of night, right? Now there's a, something of night that gives your opponents black, black two enchantment. All your opponents creatures get minus one, minus one. Oh, sure, sure. Well, that, yeah, it's like engineered. Um, not engineered. Um, what was? It's not engineered play. It's. Uh, but I'm saying it's like engineered play. Yeah. Night, night of Souls betrayal. Night of Souls betrayal, right? Okay, so right. that's what black, black two. Right? Yeah, so it's Night of Souls. It's Night of Souls betrayal meets like Pegasus. Meets Glory Santa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it's But also the ability to make tokens. And you get yeah, you get an extra token thing and a little night soil thrown in. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> night soil. Night soil. Okay, so we just uh, named a whole bunch of cards that you need to go look up. Um, but if you put all those things together night and make it not green. Night soil of betrayal. Oh, it had to be night of soils betrayal. Night of soils right? betrayal. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. We did it. The glorious night of soils betrayal. There you go. All right, nice. Got it. I don't think that one's going to get by the naming team at Wall Street, really. So we opened that thing up. And, yeah, what you want, we're going to say, I'm like, I love Orzov, so I'm happy we have that thing because now we can go Orzov. And, yeah, you want a couple of those, like, 2-1 Vigilance guys that uh, make a dude when you die, uh, when they die. You want, you know, some lower-end things. And, um, you know, you end up with a lot of fours because you get the 2-3 flying guy that makes a that makes a token. You get, obviously, uh, ill-gotten inheritances, which are the most important cards in your deck. Um and uh, we're looking for anything that makes tokens. After the first set of packs, um, the only thing we have that makes a token is a debtor's transport, right? A six casting cost debtor's transport. I'm like, this doesn't seem like it's going very well. But we had literally didn't see any. We couldn't take anything. We're getting these packs, and everybody, evidently, the table's very Orzov. Right, yeah. because well, you're, you're playing with live drafters now. Live you're not drafters. playing with bots. No, 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 this so. is live drafters, right? So we're like, all right, but there's never a good a good place to pivot out of it. Like we've taken, we have two knights of souls, we have two um, uh, ill-gotten inheritances, we have that uh, you know glorious knight of soils betrayal, right? We have uh, you know a bunch of like kind of rando stuff there. We have um, we have the uh, consigned to the pit. Modern card name off the top. Yeah, nice job, it. nice job. Consigned to the pit, which you want, by the way, you want. Which, by the way, is a card that you could literally call eight million other things, yeah. right? Yeah, and it, it, there's no, it has no, to be banishing, yeah. Yeah. expensive yeah. banishing, whatever yeah. you want to call it. So it's not even an instant. It's six, and it's a sorcery, and you're like, I definitely want one. No, you just want one, okay? Don't play two. Just play one. Because you have two, you'll get two in your first ten cards and you're not going to lose. But if you have one, whenever you draw it, you're like, it's company. You're like, okay, I got one in my pocket. doesn't matter what kind of bananas thing they drop on the board, I can kill it. Right? Except for that seven cast across five, five pro mono colored sure. thing. Who, yeah. who cares about that? Which I've never lost to in my life. It's not, it's not that scary. It's seven for a five. Yeah, five. yeah. Um, yeah, I'd rather than have it, but I'm not like, oh my God, yeah. what am I going to do with whatever? So um, you can you know, do something else too. Um, so we enter our second pack and we open up. Uh, who's the the legend guy there? Tasa? Uh, Tasa. Tasa, uh, who makes all our tokens good. Of course, we only have tokens from the debtor's transport at this point, so she's not really going to be doing all that much. I like your optimism that you'll never make a token with uh, <laughs> Knight of Soils Betrayal. <laughs> well, we might, we might. Um, so we, uh, you know, we keep drafting second, and we just can't, we can't get. I get none. Of, I get nothing. I'm really, I'm dying to open up that two one for, you know, two, the two one it makes you have two little flying guys when it dies for three. Okay, it'd be great. So at this moment, we uh, we get our, our curve. Uh, we draft the whole thing. We never see very many, uh, very many token makers. 
Um, we do not end up with a lot of token-making guys. We have a couple of removal spells consigned to the pit, the black-white sacrifice something and, you know, basically kill something up. I don't, I don't remember what it's called. Yeah, I forget what it is. It right kills, you sacrifice an enchantment or, 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 or a creature. creature. Yeah. Um, Final parting. Yeah. Right? Final something, really. Yeah, whatever. I always think I always think of the, the reds sacrifice a thing, do five damage, but it's yeah. totally none of those things. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a goblin grenade. But like our, Goblin grenade. Let's call it goblin grenade. Our, our, our curve is literally one of those little uh, death touch panthers, right? Mm -hmm. One, two. That's our one drop. Yeah. Our two drop is two of the uh, two, two Sally's. You guys don't know what a Sally is. It. Uh, Mike Long uh, had a girlfriend named Sally when Soul Warden came out that looked somewhat like Mike, Mike Long's girlfriend. So for her, we all start calling it Sally. So Sally is Soul Warden, and this has this anything gives you one life that comes into play. Passion Orator. Sally, a Passion Orator. So that's a two-two Sally, right? Um, so you have two of those guys, and I swear to you, first time ever we played a Caracal. Like that 3-1 guy? We had it in the second pack. Right? Sitting there, and we're like, we're never going to play that Caracol. It's not going to go in there, right? But we kept drafting. We could not get any two any two drops at all, other than those two Sallies. Um, and so we looked at the end. We're like, you know, we got a couple of vampires. That's okay. We got a couple of these 2-4 uh, flyers that make your other flyers bigger. Um, we have a really robust 4-drop. We ended up with three ill-gotten inheritance. So we only played two. <laughs> a, a peak, a fit of peak of restraint. And we, a demonstration that we don't, we're not slavish to it. We love it. But we're not slaves to it. Doesn't own us. You don't own me, old God. Um, and uh, we said we got. I got to have the caracal in there. I mean, somebody's got to be playing gruel, right? right? And all we want to do is have it kill something with a three toughness on it, basically. Right. Yeah, it trades so, up a little. So we nice. we played the caracal, and um, it did it, it did trade once or twice. We can tell you we we, we were in playing in our uh, third match, second game. We went, you know, we ended up going three oh six oh, which was terrific. Um, and, uh, and and Jamie hadn't played a ton with the ill-gotten inheritance, but like as we got to like game four, he put it on the board and he's like, again, he's like, you're dead. You just don't know you're dead. He's like, this guy has no idea. He has no idea what's <laughs> happening, right? <laughs> this is so great. Um, but we got to it, and our first play we were making, we were considering taking the Caracol out of the last last one because he wasn't Gruel, uh, or and we're like, eh, just leave it. We couldn't find something better to put in. We want to the deck down. We're like, just leave it. And the only two drop we have in our hand to start with is a Caracol. So it comes down. We're like, he's just gonna throw something down. Doesn't throw anything down. Boom, three damage with the Caracol. We boarded in a, a two three, the two three Vigilance Tenth District Warden. Is it? Oh, I like that. Yeah, we boarded in a yeah. Warden for something. We took out like one expensive thing and put in a Warden. Yeah. And we put the Warden down the next turn, right? He goes, and on his turn he digs for something. He casts some cantrip just to draw a card. We're like, oh, fantastic. Go attack Caracol, does another three, and gets to untap. Caracol's like, I am the greatest Caracol of all time. Um, and over the course of the game, the Caracol did nine damage and blocked something and then was sacrificed to the final thing to kill another thing. He's like, what Caracol has ever done more than I? Like, if I was doing it in real life, I would have had somebody sign the Caracol. Yeah. Like, I had oh, Tim, yeah. Tim Willoughby sign the, uh, that, there's a, there's a creature that was, a uh, what's it called? It's a terrible creature. It's a gold, it's green, black, two. It's a two-two. Oh, I remember You know this. who I'm talking about? Yes. I still have this in my little pack of signed cards from Willoughby. It was, like, the greatest one of these of all time. It did, like, 12 points of damage to him. It brought back... Uh, multiple uh, of the uh, what are the cards that come back that cost four to do something? Eidolons? Uh, multiple Eidolons because multicolor came into play. Um, they got killed and it got regrown and I got to cast it again and get another Eidolon. Oh my god. It did like so it was like the greatest one of those of all time. Uh, so I would have had somebody sign this Caracol that did nine damage, blocked a dude and killed a dude. He was really good. He's like, see I told you I should be the deck coach. We nicknamed it Rudy. Right? Oh yeah, that's, that's a Rudy. So it's a Rudy, right? And we were like, it's like I can, I can do it man. And he did. 
he went all out. He, the Rudy got the sack that game. He went three oh six. So it was really good. So I guess uh, the long and short of that story is is that uh, you should draft uh, ill-gotten inheritances more than you think, and you should be scared I of think, them more than you I think, think. I think people. I think people have figured have figured it out. That's a card that was not well regarded early on, but I think people have have definitely figured it out as they, you know, you know, you, you started the first time you lose to it, you're like, oh my god, I can't believe I, I, I lost that jank, right? I lost that jank, I didn't draw the right card. But also then you, you you watch people play with it, you play with it a little bit, and you also see like, yes, obviously like playing it on turn four is is a huge turn to take off, to do nothing, but like but people play the Guardian project. Right. Yeah, and you and, that's, and, you, and, that's, and you're you tap out on turn four for that. You don't have to turn four. I mean, if you have stuff, you can set up a defense and throw I it down. It's I fine. understand, but I'm just saying, like, let's assuming you draw, like, you're, it, it's gonna. The thing that I find very, it, look, it's obviously just like a, I think on its own it would be like, in the context of a different set, I think it might be just a medium card. You know, but I think in this set, like the ability to then suddenly give you a man advantage later in the game, because I think I think sprints it finishes fast because that four you know you got banged. But not in just there. that, but I'm also I'm also thinking about like the idea that it just um, turns on all your spectacles. Yeah, it right? does. Yeah. Right, like you start your turn with that little chain up yep. the middle of the board, and you're like, oh wait a second. Yeah, you know. I, 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 I had that happen. That happened four or five times. I'm like sixth turn. I actually have something in my hand that has spectacle, right? And it does it, and all of a sudden you see the cost reduce. I'm like, oh, I totally forgot that it even did anything. That's fantastic. Nice bonus. Yeah. Uh, here's here's an, uh, an interesting question for you. Do you in you're playing best of one, okay? And so just you're playing one one game match. Depends is, on where is, I am in my arbitrage of <laughs> coins and <laughs> gems and. What, are there circumstances? Do you ever play that disenchant? That white disenchant thing. <laughs> I, I I certainly don't play at main deck in best of three. Yeah, no, no, of course and not. But then you at least want one on your board so you can bring it in, right? I, but in best of one, you have to I, make it I have, front. I have played it. I have played it main in best of one, and had it be generally fine. Like I have found, I've found a use for it more often than I, I mean. Haven't. But then you then you get some gruel guy, and he's like three power, two casting cost guy, four power, three casting cost guy, and you're sitting there in your hand, you're like, God damn it. But then he plays rhythm, uh, you know, or he plays turn three. Uh, oh, that's what Jamie took over the, that 5-5 five, five guy that gives plus two, the, the bananas guy that gives your whole team plus two, plus two trample oh, and vigilance. Okay. yeah, yeah. The, and he comes in and costs a million. Craterhoof. You mean Craterhoof. Uh, fires the Avamaya, yeah. Yeah, he took yeah. Fires the Avamaya over Craterhoof. Yeah, and, and okay. he said, like, we took this. When you take this, I'm like, no, I think I might take the creatorhood. I mean, whenever whenever that guy resolves, somebody wins the game pretty right. much then. I mean, 90% of the time. Right, it's, right. it's really slow, but, um, you know, it happens. And he actually ended up getting a second one later on. Yeah, that card's great. And uh, I've never had two. I've only ever played one, and it was really good. But I imagine two is pretty crazy. Where you get double riot, and you cast a riot guy, you get three things to do. Oh, yeah, yeah. Plus two, plus two in haste on all yeah. your guys. It's pretty, pretty insane. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, though. Like, it's still at the same time, right? You play that card, and you're taking a turn off. Yeah. Right? And yeah. you take a turn three off, which can be crucial. It's a big one. And But you, you see very clearly what the lines are going to be from that turn forward. Same thing with Guardian Project. You're like, okay. Yeah, you well, got you an immediate tangible gonna benefit draw, on your guys. Right? I'm going to draw a card every time I play a creature, or almost every time I play a creature for the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. And then, but with... Um, Ill-gotten inheritance. Ill inheritance. It's it's just not as obvious. It's a, it's it's a very slow 
benefit feel. You don't feel like, you just look down occasionally, it's been pinging for three or four turns, right? And you look down and your life's like, oh, I might be about 14. You're like, yeah, I'm 17. All right. That feels all right. I'm a little, I feel a little stronger than I thought. I feel a little better about this board now, right? But then you start to see they're at like 13. And you're like, oh, they're at 13. I got four banked in this spell. They're really at nine. And, you know, they're not going to just chin and they're really at eight. I got three guys on the board. I should probably just attack and try to squeeze some stuff in here. If they crack back for seven, I'm still going to be at 11, and they can't leave themselves open. I mean, you know, it's it, there's opportunity there, but you have to be patient for it and appreciate the incremental the incremental gain. It's like a very incremental card, like yeah. little, you know, it's very Tongo's Pebbles, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's okay. tell, tell them towards darts. It's Tongo's Pebbles. <laughs> oh, tell them, that's what this card is. This card's a tell them towards darts. A tell them towards darts. It's a tell them towards darts. <laughs> it's a lot it like is it. actually. It is. I won my first ma- my first big tournament with tell them towards darts against Matt Lindy. Oh wow! We were playing at the at the Armory in um, in Maryland, some place oh, okay. in the middle of nowhere, Maryland, um, Odenton, Maryland. You got, they used to have a tournament down there, and we were playing in a um, Matt Long, uh, Michael Long, come over to my house the night before. I was giving him a ride to the place. We were playing in the limited one. I mean, Matt, uh, Mike, and I, and Matt Lindy, and one other person made top four. They cut the top four at that point, um, and I beat Mike and Mike in my side, and, uh, and I played Matt Lindy in the finals. And he had a good white. Uh, I had. A, it was like red green. This is during um, the torch block. Uh, Mirage, yeah, Mirage yeah. block. Um, and he had some. Uh, he had, I was basically red green uh, with a hammer, a bow garden, and uh, you know a bunch of wildfire emissary and a bunch of pretty good red green cards. And I tell him towards darts. And um, uh, Matt was Matt was mostly blue white flyery sort of stuff. Um, and uh, he had no way to remove my tell him towards darts. And each game, I just we we still made it somehow, and I just ping, 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 ping. I must have done 16 or 17 points of damage with Tell Him Towards Darts over the course of, <laughs> of, course of the game. And the, the, we were in game three, and uh, you know it was again a little bit still made. But he was still like 15. I put down the darts, I pinged him three times. Like you got it. And he just scooped him up, and I'm like, really? Your deck is really good. But I wasn't gonna, you know, I was gonna complain. I'm like, hey, thanks, man, good job. But That's back in an era where creatures had that weird power toughness, where they had more toughness than power. A lot of times you can talk about like wildfire emissary, or yeah. there would be like three sevens, and weird, you know what I mean? Like creatures yeah. just had this. It was much easier for a board to stalemate back then. It really could, like the Ice Age block. Remember how like what, what Shieldbearer did to Ice Age block? For God's sake, it's totally innocuous. It's white and one for an O3 with banding. Oh. That's all it does, right? But man, if you had a Shieldbearer down and a couple of guys with a fat ass on them. Nobody could ever get through. You couldn't get through. It just couldn't be done. And there was very little removal back then. Like, you, if you had, like, an incinerate, I think it was an incinerate. You had, like, an incinerate, a vanishing, a swords to plow. Right. I mean, they, they're just what they didn't exist. It wasn't in the format. Like, you, there was a flare, but that didn't do anything to that thing, right? Flare was there. One of my favorite cards of all time. So, interesting thing I learned about flare. Flare was originally destined to be the artwork for Rathagod. Really? Yeah, I was at... Um, I was at some GP last year, and Drew Tucker was there with his art. And he had his original art, and he had the original art for Flair. And written on the bottom in pencil was Wrath of God. It was the, and I guess they didn't, you know, Drew Tucker, controversial artist. You know, not everyone loved him. Yeah. I loved him. Did he um, do uh, the bog guy, the bog thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did all those things. He was like really like kind of almost a cubist. It's like a Bill Sinkovich yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. art. Yeah, and uh, Sinkovich. 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 Yeah. Uh, he, so I guess they, they just like okay, we're gonna recommission this. We're gonna get, we're well, gonna get Quentin Hoover to do it. I was wondering. Well, I was wondering if they had Wrath of God was the art to something else. Like what would that have been? Some <laughs> some black thing with a lot of dead, like a, some graveyard spell, right? Because it's got all these yeah know, pestilence. pestilence. <laughs> but Wrath, I mean, it is clearly Wrath of God, right? Because you see the Lord frowning up yep. in the. Uh, that's like one of the great pieces of art in the history of the game. Uh, 
Um, yeah, so it was easy to get bogged down. There was very, very yeah, little yeah. removal. There were a lot of things that had banding and had big defense on them. Right. And so you really could get somewhere, and, you know, just having some little constant sort of pingy damage, uh, you know, is a way that you could win a lot of really drawn-out games. Now, it wasn't great for tournament play because you only have a limited period of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, you got really quick at saying, you know, go, untap, ping, go, or like ping out of turn, untap, ping, go, like trying to do your thing to get it all out there. Um, but uh, it was it was much much more sloggy back then I think yeah. than it is now. Now like you know there was no rush. I mean there's no rushing. But, but yet tell them towards darts still good. Still good after all these years. It just uh, it just got a color cost two more. So but uh, but yeah and we call it Tongo's Pebbles because we had our team at the time was Tongo Nation and you know we. Uh, we, we, parts that we like. I'm doing all the goodwill you've built up on this podcast. I was the good Tongo, remember? <laughs> I was the honest Tongo. People like me, all right. I'm good friends with Chris Bakula. He, he he hates Tongo. I was I was uh, privileged to say when uh, Dead Guy said I was the only Tongo Nation member they'd pull out of a burning building, <laughs> and they said they would pee on Donnie Gallitz if he was near the door. So that was our our ranking of how well we, you know, liked people on my team were by other people. Uh, but it was a strong team from a magic perspective, you know. I mean, as much, you know, you know, assuming whatever you think about Mike, uh, he was a terrific player, and uh, you know, the other people we had. He's a very talented player. I would love to see how he could have played if he didn't cheat. Yeah, he would have. I would have liked to have seen how he did in a in a fair fight. Yeah, I mean, he was a, a, a super talented guy, and I mean, like yep. he just he his mind just worked in a in a really interesting way, and he like. He was, he was a very, very, very talented player. And then we had other good people. Donnie Gallus is a very good player, and Brian Schneider was on for a while. He was a crazy good I like deck Donnie, builder. I like Brian. Um, we had uh, a guy named Dom Crapache was on there for a while, which nobody's heard of, but if, was if also If you've a ever player. played uh, Wits and Wagers. Yeah, yeah, he's a good game that's maker. His, yeah. That's his game. Yeah, I called. I actually I, I contacted him to congratulate him on uh, Board Game Geek because he had the game. I'm like, oh, I know Dom. He's on my team, whatever. And he wrote back to me thinking I was John Slaughter. Um, <laughs> and he had this conversation. He's like, oh, I remember you did this thing, and blah, blah, blah. Boy, you had a really long I'm like, not wrong, John. So I'm like, yep, Dom, well, congratulations. I just let it go. You know? Those photographic memories fade fast, huh? <laughs> well, Mills, Mills is the one that had know, the addictive memories. I know. I was confusing him with Dave Mills. That was the joke. Um, so the Mills thing. Mills is, it was Mills, a very, very niche joke Mills, I was going for. But it was good. I got it. That's, that's the niche. We're right here. Um, Mills is scary with that. I don't know. I, probably nobody's seen the coverage from on the boat when, uh, you know, the finals thing happened with Hubby. But they were interviewing him after after we were doing it. was a, the finals of Rochester draft. So you could see what everybody was drafting, right? They don't Rochester draft anymore, but it was a good format, particularly if you had a good memory, because you'd know all you know all the cards in your opponent's deck. I mean, if they built it the way you would build it, sure. if you could remember. But them, you know right? all the cards in their pool anyway. Right. I mean, but I mean, you could say, okay, this is what's in here. How would I build it? Blah blah blah. Does he have access right. to this or that? You know. Um, right. So you know, you don't have that in another format. Right. The range of playables was also much smaller. Smaller. Right. You could throw away a third of the cards yeah, yeah. they were never going to play. Yeah. But um, they're interviewing him and asking him how he <laughs> thought his matchup was going to be against Tommy in the finals, and he's like, well, he's got and he goes and he starts running down Tommy's deck. He's like, he's got this, and he's got this, and he's got these two, and he could do this. I don't think he played this, but it's possible. And I know he has his board. And he got about six cards into it. He's like, I should probably not talk about this anymore. Because like he was showing, like a lot of people didn't know that uh, that Dave had a had a eidetic memory. Yeah. Um, he he uh, he actually did something like that. I think earlier in the top eight too, where they asked him about his matchup or something, and he kind of just talked his way around the table. Like, he was like, oh, and Steve's got this deck, and he's got this deck. And yeah, he knew, he knew. I don't know if that was an interview or just maybe I was just talking to him. He knew ni- but he, I remember he knew that. 95%. That was like, that had to be his favorite format. He knew everything in everybody's deck. I mean, like, yeah. where it was. And, I mean, you know, we played a lot of Rochester Draft, and it was one of my better formats. 
Um, I'm, I'm in going with my not playing in a standard way. I'm one of the people who will hate in Rochester draft. <laughs> like uh, I was playing, I was playing in one, and I had I was going to play. My pod was a bunch of people, and the only person I figured had was going to win the pod with me was Anton Johnson. Was my pod right? And um, Anton Anton was playing beasts, and I was I was playing Hall beasts. of Famer Anton Johnson. I was playing beasts. Who I winning record against? Thank you, thank you very much. Two zero against Anton Johnson. Um, thank you. I got you. I got you. Why? Okay. It's fine. Yeah. Just offer and I'll do it. I don't want to. Sorry, we're going to go over the check like old men. Yeah. We're not I like. Just, I just. There. You don't. I'll, I'll get it. I can you give it a Give us change for that. What's that? Get change for that? Sure. Okay. Um, I think we have to just go up and back. Oh, okay, so. okay. Um, so we. Um, I'm a table drafting with Anton, and I draft uh, away from him uh, a bunch of Wirewood Savages, right? Uh, I'm mostly black white. He's he's green beast. There's no green between us. Nobody's gonna take the savages. There's not much on the board for me that I really am gonna play. So I just take the savage, right? And he's like looking daggers at me. He's like, All right? So we play. I win my first. He wins his first. I win my second. He wins. I play Anton in the finals for pod, right? And we're playing. He's like, I don't understand why you you would take those uh, those waterwood savages. You're not you're not green. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but uh, you know, you're green and you play beasts. So I don't want you to have them. He's like, but. You have to play other people. You may never see me. You may never see me. I'm like, Anton, who am I going to see in the finals of the pub? I'm clearly 100% going to see you. So I did it, and I ended up being Anton in the finals, largely because he had no no wirewoods I was just to draw cards with. And I, I, when I, we kept life then. You give a pad. But um, when you draft overnight, you typically don't have a pad. You keep it with cards. You put three face-up cards or your fives, and five face-down cards or your ones, right? And so you can have a visual one. So I kept track with cards, and I had the wirewood savages face up as my fives, so you could watch them all game. That are just being used as life counters for me. It's pretty cool. That's <laughs> awesome. All right. Um, maybe we'll pick it back up in the car. Yeah, let's, let's, get, let's do a little basketball on the car on the way back, maybe. Sure. A little hoops, and then, yeah, we'll, then we'll get going. Okay, okay. sounds good. Bye. All right, we're back in the car now. Uh, laughing at our own jokes. <laughs> <laughs> You'll do that more as you get older. Yeah. <laughs> Other people don't do it, yeah. so somebody's got to do it. I, I like to, you know, Carl's like, oh, you're very proud of yourself on that one. And I'm like, like yeah, yeah, this yeah. club has a two-thumb minimum. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> um... So we just did, uh, got by the trade deadline. Um, your Knicks are um, having not their best year. The Knicks are having an awesome year. Well, I mean, they're the Knicks are having the want. best year in decades. They're accomplishing what you want them to accomplish to get a fourteen percent chance to get Zion Williams. I mean, I don't really care if they get Zion or if they get RJ or if they get like. I'd like Zion. I think I'd like Zion. I mean, the, the you know, I think there's some question about whether or not Zion will translate to the NBA. Like he's he's he seems like a monster. He does seem like a monster. I mean, I, I got I to gotta respect the talent. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I hate look, Duke, I'm, but I mean, there's I'm, no arguing. I'm, I'm, I'm super excited every time I watch him play, but I'm, I think I'd be okay with RJ. Are you? Uh, what do you think about Porzingis' trade? Are you down with I it? think it was a great trade. You're good with what I, you got back. Okay. Uh, look, what, what we got back was... So you were, you were we a got, Church of Porzingis guy, right? You, I love Porzingis. I think Porzingis can have a great career. I'm going to always be sad that he is not a Nick. Here's the thing. His brother has turned out to be a douche nozzle. <laughs> Right, like his brother's just like was like, I want a position with the Knicks, um, you know this, that, and the other thing, and 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 he's like, look, we don't want to be a Nick, and, he, and the Knicks are like, okay, you don't want to be a Nick, we're not gonna get, we're not gonna put ourselves in the position the Pelicans find themselves in right now with Anthony Davis, where we're struggling to trade, you know, yeah. we're gonna just, you don't want to be a Nick. He was Tell you what, he's traded in forty minutes. Well, they were, so <laughs> apparently, apparently the Knicks had previous to that been in negotiations to trade KP to the Pelicans for Anthony Davis. 
So, um, tell me which way I gotta go. Oh uh, yeah, you just keep just keep staying to the left here. Um, so they had uh, they'd been in negotiation, you know, they were like, okay, and they had already been talking to the Mavs. They were originally working out some sort of trade for possibly Dennis Smith Jr. or or some other deal with the Mavs. So they kind of already had some. So they had two, two place, things. Right? Yeah, and so they were like, all right, let's go. Are you happy that Anus Cantor has been let go? Uh, I, you know, I no. Go, oh, sorry, go, go straight. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah. Um, I am happy that I can now call him Penis Cantor, like the rest of NBA <laughs> fan, like what other NBA fans around the league like, call him. Like calling him Anus Cantor before wasn't bad enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, left on wall. Yeah, he left on wall. So he. I like I like Enos Cantor. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't play defense, right? He's but like, like but whatever. He's got a good. I mean, he's a, he's, he's, he's big. He's low. Tucked he's around. young too. He's twenty six. He that's uh, crazy. He gets bored. It's like he's got to, he's got to worry about getting deported back to Turkey. Like he's like they want to kill him. They want to murder. Right? I like him a lot. I I mean, I don't like it, but I don't want him to get sent back to Turkey for guys. Uh, like. I am. <laughs> what I'm happy about is that the Knicks put them. Look, I don't know whether or not you know everyone's like, oh, they're going to sign Kevin Durant. I'm like, I hope so. I don't know if they will. Um, there's a lot of like. Behind the scenes things that point to Durant signing to the Knicks. Uh, the Knicks GM is a good friend of his. One of the assistant coaches on the Knicks is one of his best friends. You know, there's a good chance that DeAndre Jordan was pretty strategic in terms of an acquisition from the Mavericks in the Porzingis deal because he, you know, there's some rumor that he and that those guys want to play together. So, uh, yeah. Pull over here, is that right? Oh yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, whatever. I mean, I would love to get Durant. I mean, at the same time, nervous. You know, you get start to get players in their thirties. You start to get a little worried. Yeah, plus, I me, mean, if you're looking, you're looking. You're gonna have a good number one pick somewhere. Right. I mean, like, I mean, yeah. I don't know it's gonna be first, but it's gonna be high. Right. right? You're gonna have room for two max free agent contracts, yes. right? So you right. Can get like some and people. You know, let's face it, it's New York. I mean, it's not going to be hard to convince a couple of high-profile players who want to play in New York City. It right? is a little difficult. Dolan's a terrible owner. Yeah, you got to get over the Dolan thing. But you know what? That money is good, and the city is good, and the exposure is good. Right. And, like, the, and the reality is, if you are the basketball player who does for the Knicks what LeBron did for Cleveland, right? Like, if you bring a championship to Madison Square Garden, um, I don't know. I don't even know how you... I don't even know what you it's translate not, that to. It's not a comparison to, to it. I don't know what you translate that to financially, but you are... You know, Joe Namath is, you know, just one Super Bowl in New York, right? You know, that guy's. I mean, look at what Patrick Ewing was in New York, yeah. and he didn't even he didn't get the championship because right. that yeah that terrible layup mishap, I guess, yeah, you know, wow. at the end. But it was cold. Well, maybe let's say he didn't get the championship because of Reggie Miller. Okay, Reggie <laughs> Miller said you will not have championship, right? So yeah, I blame Spike Lee. <laughs> a lot of people do. Yeah. You're like shit, shit, just sit. Shut up, please. Shut up. Don't taunt Reggie Miller. <laughs> Um, you don't yeah. want anybody named the Rifleman. That's a bad idea. I, the thing with the KP, I, so I feel like we're in a good spot. I feel like we're in a position. We got out from under some terrible deals. You're trusting the process now. I am. I am. Uh, I really like Kevin Knox. He hasn't done amazing stuff this year, but boy, when he when you know he's a young guy, and you see that when things click for him, he, he's he's terrific. Kind of excited about what Dennis Smith might have. What happened to Frank uh, Nokita? Nilakina. Nilakina. He's like he. He was really. I mean, he, he plays. Looked like he he plays, was going to be good. He and plays really bad. good defense. He's really bad. He's one of those guys you see this in young players all the time, right? They they have the ball, they come up the court, you know, they stop, they hit their mark, and then they think for a second about their shot, <laughs> right? Don't think. And That's he true. he has that thing where he's just in his head, and he just he just has like almost like a hitch, 
And his, his shot's terrible. Can his we, shot's freaking terrible. Can we agree that the management of New Orleans is wholly irresponsible, that they didn't immediately snap take that last deal from the Lakers for Anthony Davis? <sighs> Uh, like a full team of people, right? You get you get Ingram, you get uh, Lonzo, uh, you get Kuzma. Uh, Kuzma. I mean, I, I'd cut yeah. Lonzo well, on principle. Yeah, I, mean, I would sign. I would trade for Con, yeah, for yeah. Lonzo and then cut him on I'm principle. He, he's he's not super expensive. He does have like eight or nine assists a game. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know they need some. Do you know what his free throw percent? Got, Do you know what his free throw like, percent? Like forty some percent. Yeah, yeah. I know. 40%. My my daughter has a, an interesting thing with uh, Landry Shamit before he got traded. That was like one of her favorite uh, Sixers. Yeah. Uh, that Landry like had hit more threes. Than Lonzo had hit free throws this year, <laughs> right? At some point, right? I'm like, oh, it's pretty good. Um, and even like, you know, we have Ben Simmons, who I love, but whose free throws are not great. And I thought they were getting better this year. And he, yeah. They look like they are. He'll hit like five out of six in a game. But if you look overall, he's still at like 60%, yeah. probably, right? But you can say, like, compared to Lonzo, that guy's, uh, you know, that guy's uh, a 90% free throw. By the way, shooting. DeAndre Jordan, by the way, has somehow learned how to sort of shoot free throws. His free throw percentage is like in the 70s this year. Good for him. Glad he, and that's, that's a big part of his game. That makes him a much more valuable yeah. player, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, so it was, as far as I know, the last offer that I heard was, uh, yeah, Kuzma, uh, Lonzo, Ingram, um, a couple other people that were just expiring yeah, contracts. Yeah. Two firsts. Two firsts. Two firsts, right? Yeah. And uh, for Davis. And I'm like, this is... And, oh, and they take and they take back uh, Solomon uh, Solomon Hill, right? Right. So um, you have... Uh, you you basically get rid of Solomon Hill's $12 million contract. You have two expiring contracts that are going to give you a lot of money on your, uh, on your cap space next year. You get three guys that are young that you can put on your team, even if you don't like Lonzo. I'm not a big fan. But Lonzo, actually, I've gotten to dislike Lonzo less. I dislike Lonzo's dad a lot. Yeah, he, yeah, if yeah. Lonzo's dad would shut up, like Lonzo would be more palatable, right? Kuzma's very good. And Ingram is Ingram's a good, he's a damn good right. player, right? And they're holding out for Tatum. I'm like, you know, is the difference between Tatum and Ingram, right? Kuzma, Lonzo, two first-round picks, and something else. I mean, and losing twelve million dollars of salary. He's, and he's also. Just, it seemed like that's that was so so much stuff. Here's the thing about young players too: they're young, and there's still room for like if you believe that you have good people in place that can um, maximize people's talent and put them in the right ability to succeed. You know, you just you know, you know maybe Ingram hasn't done everything you expect Ingram to do yet. But look at D'Angelo Russell. Who is flourishing yeah, this great. year on the Nets? Doing great. Flourishing, yeah. And you know, this is someone people just gave up on. He's still super young. I think he's twenty-two or twenty-three. Yeah, there are a lot of those people. My daughter's like, "How old do you think this person is?" And that's always—I always think they're older than they are. Like, right? You know, how old do you think Kyrie is? I don't know, twenty-eight. I think he's twenty-six. <laughs> Not kidding. No, really, he really is. You know? And I, I, well, yeah. I mean, I was just saying that about Enos Cantor. Enos Cantor's only twenty-six. Yeah, everybody's younger than you think, for the yeah. most part. You know? Well, people come into the league so young. You, you know, Knox, Kevin Knox, you know, people are like, oh, you know, he hasn't done, he's 19 years yeah, old. Like, Give him a chance, man. He's not even done growing yet. Right? The, the Knicks have a guy on the team right now, Mitchell Robinson. He was, uh, he was their second round draft pick this year. He's 19 years old, right? He is, uh, didn't play a day of college basketball. He, so he go overseas? He, no, he, he just, he sat out for a year. He wow. just, I would, he play, just, I would play somewhere. Wow. He, he sat out and worked with Pete. He went to like some training camp or did something. So but like, like bought Drew Hanlon for the summer or whatever. whatever. Yeah. And uh, and the Knicks were like, okay, we didn't think he'd be here. They were going to originally draft Alonzo Trier in the second round out of Arizona. And uh, so they drafted Mitchell Robinson. And then after the draft, nobody drafted Alonzo Trier. And then they got Alonzo Trier. So yes, non rusher and, and he's been terrific. Yeah. He's like, but again, all of these guys are so young, and you're like, 
you know, it's it's really difficult to understand what they're going to look like three years from now. And I think NBA teams do such a terrible job of putting people in a position to succeed. Like, it just does, you know, every they want everything to be so cookie-cutter in terms of, like, how people act within an offense or act within... And I get that, uh, but but I feel like people leave a lot of value on the table with young players. Well, you may not even know what... what what style fits that player best. Like, right. You don't know if they play better in a, you know, with a lot of set pieces, you know, if they play better with a lot of impro- improvisation, right. you know, and it may be you have a player that plays better in improvisation, you have a very set piece team, maybe that's a guy you trade because right. and see if you can get somebody that fits better in there, but you're not going to know unless you let them develop right. for a while. Well, they're talking about Draymond Green, like Draymond Green wasn't even a starting player until David Lee got hurt. Yeah, well, Draymond Green, he fills a very specific role in right. the team that's necessary. Like, Draymond Green wouldn't be Draymond Green on, you know, 25 of the teams in the league. Right. Right. You know, so he is uniquely, right. you know, fit you know, people to are like, them. oh, all these teams passed on Steph Curry. It's like, how many teams do you think? Like, Golden State obviously does, does a really good job of figuring out three point shooting. Yeah, figuring <laughs> figuring out well, but but figuring out a way for players to flourish, and that's the one thing I hope that this this Knicks team can do is they they've done a, they've this, they've spent a lot of time this year letting a lot of young players get minutes, put them in positions to succeed or fail try to understand what they're doing and I'm I'm hopeful that, you know, we'll have a couple of really good, you know, a very good bench to augment some star players. That we don't yet have, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah, looking for NBA drafting, you know, it's obviously an exact science. You know, you you don't know who people are. There are a lot of top picks that don't pan out. Um, And, but looking back at it, it's really easy to say, why would you ever do this? Like, you know, my daughter is looking at drafts before, you know, she was interested in basketball and she's like, I can't believe Michael Jordan didn't go first. I'm like, well, you know, Purvis Ellison seemed pretty good at that point, I think. And, and, you know, Michael Jordan, for, for some of his years at North Carolina, he wasn't the best guy on North Carolina. He wasn't right. the best guard on North Carolina. Right. At the time, I think Black, there was a guy named Black, uh, who was on North Carolina, was their guy, I think it was Jimmy Black or Johnny Black, who was their starting guard. Like, I mean, basically, he backed him up for a while until he became more Michael Jordan-esque, right? right? And even when he first came in the league, he wasn't Michael Jordan right. for a little while, and he became, you know, he flourished after a yeah. couple of years, and then he was, you know, awesome, right. obviously. Well, have, or, you, have you ever looked at... Greg Oden. Like, right. Greg, Oden. Greg right. Oden, like, you know, he was, he was a giant talented dude who had some injury problems and never did anything. Right? Yeah. So if you were picking first between, you know, I don't know who the second other pick there was. It was somebody very good. Right. Uh, pick second, and he ended up picking Odin. Wasn't like, it Odin Durant? It was Durant, right? It was Odin Durant, Durant, yeah. Yeah, and so now you're like, God, who would pick Odin over Durant? You're like, it was debatable <laughs> at the time. I'm telling you, it was. I promise you. Right. And, and and again, if you look at how big people, I mean, Durant's also just a giant human. You know what I mean? He's like, like a mantis. Yeah, yeah. A Durantula. He's, he's like this, uh, yeah. Oh, oh it's uh, kind of actually funny. Do, do you know... Uh, Kevon Looney. Looney is on okay. Looney is on the team with uh, with Durant. He's on Golden State, right? Yeah. So they're on the same team. He's the only other guy oh, in the he, league. He's, he's that's the rookie. Built, he's the rookie this year, right? I think he might be a second year. Okay, player, right? yeah. But he has he's the only guy that's built the same as Kevin Durant. He's got that lanky mantis kind of build, right? His name is his name is Kevon, not Kevin. Kevon. Yeah. Right. And his name's like so we were like. They just they like just grew another Durant. He's like a test tube Durant, right? But he didn't come out quite right, right? Come he's on. not as good. He's but he looks the same. He's named almost the same. It's like some it's like some Cadmus project from the Superman books. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly right. So we're like, whenever he comes on, they're like, you know, we we're like, we're like Kevin, did the I do Cadmus a good job? The Cadmus State Warriors. Did I do a good job, Kevin? And it's like, yes, Kevin, you did a good job. It's like, and we think his biggest thing is if he's on the, on the floor at the same time as Kevin Durant, he's a decoy because you think Durant's going to do something, but it's not. It's loony because it looks just like him. And they cover him like Durant, and all of a sudden Durant goes like this, and he's open. <laughs> You're like, oh, my God, they even have, like, a physical decoy for Durant on that team. So take a look next time you watch a Golden State game okay. for a loony, and you'll be like, let's try it. You're like, no, wait, that's not Durant. That's like Shed Brother Durant, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
So I feel bad calling him that. He's probably a nice guy and whatever else. But I mean, just like when you're watching him play kind of in a vacuum and you're watching, you're like, I, I don't understand the, who is, he's just like, and he's named Kavan. Like, did they just move the <laughs> accent on Kevin or they switch two letters? It's like, I want to be named Kevin too. You know? How, how, uh, how are you feeling about your Sixers? I have to give you a chance to have some <laughs> Philly pride here as much as it kills um, me. Well, you know, I I, uh, I feel I feel pretty good. Like I did, I, I understand getting Jimmy Butler. You know, I mean, like I, I really liked Covington's a great defensive player. I think Dario was very underrated. He has a lot of things, but you got to give something to get something. You know, yeah. and I think Jimmy's fit in okay. People made a lot of made a lot of hay about him talking in a film session or something to Brett Brown. But Brett Brown's like, I want to hear it. That's fine. I mean, I don't know how he works. And if you look at it, he has tried to accommodate him. He gets more ISOs and more pick and rolls. He's been trying to. He's let him bring up the ball and be on the offense and move Ben over a little bit to, you know, to have him be the off guard. Sometimes there was some talk thing. about trading him at the deadline. Yeah, I have no idea why you would do that. I mean, like, <laughs> it seemed crazy. We, 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 we said if you don't if you don't resign Butler, then it probably wasn't a good Butler trade, right? Because right. you gave away, I think, a lot. And people in Philadelphia don't think Covington was very good. Covington has been first team people all defensive. People in Philadelphia also didn't think Iguodala was any good. Iguodala very defensive. He was also a defensive <laughs> guy, and he he was actually Iguodala. Here's the bad part, but Iguodala. Okay, he was playing on a team that wasn't very good, right? So people were frustrated, and he was the best player on the team. And if Iguodala is the best player on your team, you that don't have true. a good team, That's right? True. You want Iguodala on your team, but he's got to be like the fourth best player yeah. in your team, right? Or even or the sixth. At in that the case at of that point, they go Yeah, but you know, Warriors are special. You know, they have an extra deep lineup. Um, so I think Jimmy's fit in pretty well. It felt great that his first two of his first three games he had a game-winning shot. So you're like, oh, he's perfect, right? Um, and the Tobias Harris, it was interesting. Um, you know, I, I, we weren't. I mean, we weren't thinking about. You know, we weren't talking about training for Tobias Harris. I really, really wanted them to get Kyle Korver earlier in the year. Yeah. But they couldn't work it out, and then he went over to Denver. There's, but now, now we're in that weird stage where there's all these people who get like. Cut. The buyout stuff, yeah. All the buyouts that Wesley Matthews might actually go. Did he go to the Sixers? Or? No, not yet. No, he's, he he's still there. But we were hoping. I was, I was hoping to get Wayne Ellington, who got cut by. Yeah. Uh, I think. But like they say, his name with the Pistons. So I actually tweeted. I tweeted at Wayne Ellington and the Sixers. I'm like, please don't let Wayne Ellington go to the Pistons. Wouldn't he rather play on a team that has playoff aspirations <laughs> for the rest of the season? We have a 4.4 million dollar slot. He's only making six million bucks, right? Right. And we're two thirds of the way through the season. So he's only got two million. He was only going to make two million more. We can offer him four. We could like double his salary to come play for a little bit. And that uses one of our exceptions trade exceptions, right? So we can, yeah, we could have gotten him. But no, he's signed with the Pistons, so I don't, and I have no idea why. Why would you sign with the Pistons? Maybe he likes Buddy's Pizza. <sighs> we have flown in for you. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so I was surprised by the Tobias Harris trade, but um, everybody there loves Boban. You know, Boban yeah. is awesome. And I like that they've always been traded together. They Toby and Bobby. Toby and Bobby, right? <laughs> Except for some reason, uh, the, the announcers, Abdul Abdel calls him Bobo. Right, because we have JoJo for for oh, okay. Joel, so he calls him Bobo. We're like, no, it's Bobby. It's not Bobo. Stop saying that. <laughs> Bobo was a clown, I think. You know, and you don't want to call him a clown because he'll come and crush your skull and all the grief. You know, you know, Bobin's in the new John Wick movie. Who is Bobin? Is Bobin in there? He's in the new John Wick movie. He plays like some, you know. Eastern European assassin. Awesome, that's great. I'm yeah. looking forward to that. It looks like he gets killed with a library book by right, John Wick right. in the trailer. Well, most people do. <laughs> get killed by a pencil or a library book or something else. I mean, let's see. Let's be honest. If if you were at any point within like 20 feet of John Wick, you have about a 40 percent chance of, of dying. Like, sure. Not to that point. Just like at some point he'll be in a he, thing. Even and, if you're in the Continental at this point, which is you know against the rules. Against the rules. Well, but, to be fair, that guy that guy had it coming. <laughs> You know, some guys need killing, right? Yeah. Especially if he's sitting there taunting you about how you can't kill him. Um, You're like, I, I got to do it. So I should let you know, when John Wick opens, we're doing a bunch of us here in New York. Steve's coming to New York from Boston for it. Three Film Fest. We're going to Thursday night, midnight. We're going to go see John Wick Paramount. So 
You were invited. I'll try, man. It's hard for me to get up here. I understand. I understand. Maybe you can schedule some sort of tax meeting for Friday afternoon. I would actually, yeah, maybe I can get get shipped up here for you know, a Thursday um, afternoon and say, God, you got anybody in New York I got to meet with on Thursday? Right. So I'm just telling you, we're going to do old school, you know, go to the see a movie. I haven't done that in, God, 20 years probably. Uh, I, 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 I really I really feel good that we were uh, we were on John Wick early. Like, I mean, before John Wick got found. Yeah. Like, you know, I think one of us called there and like, have you watched this John Wick film? You're like, uh, I've seen it. I, one of us said, you got to watch it, right? Just go to go to cable and watch right. it now. He watched it and you're like, this movie is awesome. Yeah. Right? And then I immediately watched it over the next two weeks like ten times. I, I, I'm so mad at myself that I didn't see it. I dismissed it when I saw it. In the, like, it looks so goofy from the commercial. Right? You're like, oh, God. You know, my wife still my wife still hasn't seen it. I'm like, I, I know she'll love it. But she's just like, yeah, the dog thing, it seems so stupid. You know, the dog thing is the dog thing is awesome. It's motivating. I mean, it's, it's really sad, right? Right. But it's motivating, and it tells you exactly who people are, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, there's no doubt as who's a good guy yeah. and who's a bad guy. And I like that. You know, after all the stuff we watched with George R.R. R. Martin and reading, you know, I read the you know, dress books by... Uh, um, Oh, geez, I can't remember his name. Yeah. My favorite author, yeah, Gemmel, David Gemmel. Yeah. And uh, we have all these, you know, the, the Marvel Universe stuff. Where, you know, it's not always clear who's good and who's bad and people flip and people flop. But you know what, John Wick, I know who's a good guy John, and John, I know who's a bad guy. John, but, but it, And you know, I like that. But John Wick's kind of a bad guy. He, yeah, but he's the only one. But you root for him because he's your protagonist, right? Yeah. When uh, when Theon kills that dog, <laughs> man, you're like, oh, you're going to die, dude. How could you do that? This is the last <laughs> thing he has from his wife. It's the last thing. How dare you for a car? Yeah. Right? And you you really get a sense of who it is, you know. Like when uh, John Leguizamo was talking to you know the the boss on the phone, he's like, "Why did you strike my son?" He's like, "Well, sir, I'm very sorry, but blah blah blah." He's like, you know, but he did this to John Wick, and he just goes, "Oh, thank you." <laughs> and that's it. He's like, "You should have slapped my son," you know. He's like, "Unfortunately, I, my son is Walking Dead." You know what? He got ill-gotten inheritance cast on him. He's dead. He just doesn't know it yet, right? And yeah. eventually it comes it comes to fruition. Yeah. Yeah. So but it's just it's just a thoroughly enjoyable movie. I mean I know it's like two hours of constant murders, basically, yeah. which you would think it wouldn't be necessarily enjoyable, but you know, the, the choreography is beautiful, the music is great, um, the actors are, are what you expect them to be. Have you watched any of the like so Hollywood obviously has just churned out a bunch of movies that attempt to capitalize on the success yeah. of John Wick. Yeah. Have you watched any of them? I did. I watched the nerd, the one with Josie Foster. Hotel Artemis. Hotel Artemis. I watched. I, I really like Hotel Artemis. I, I, I did like Hotel. But I don't Artemis. think it's a John Wick. It's knockoff. not a John Wick. It's movie. an Escape from New York movie. It is more of an escape. It is a John movie. Carpenter, Walter Hill movie, and not a, it's, it's a John not, Wick movie. It's not John Wick. I, I watched it expecting a certain thing out of it. Yeah. Right? But it, it's like about halfway through, I'm like, it's not coming. There's no John Wickiness going right. on. There's not fight scenes. There's no, there's no, people are disappointed. I think people are disappointed in it that the action is a little under, yeah, but I like, understated. But I liked it. I mean, like, yeah. I, I, Everyone I mean, in it's great. Um, you know, I was really surprised Jeff Goldblum was in there, and we got like, oh, that's awesome, dude. Yeah. He was perfect. He was really good. It was a great cast. It's, yeah. it's, it's like an A-list, like multiple people who've been nominated for Academy Awards, won Academy Awards, yeah. been in billion-dollar blockbusters, yeah, and his, and his death in a B-movie. I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but his death scene? Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. No, I perfect. love... It's I, perfect. I love, I love that movie. I've actually watched it twice. Um, I think it's underrated Atomic Blonde. I haven't seen it yet. It's in my queue on Netflix, but I haven't. So seen you'll it. love the soundtrack, obviously. Like Probably. you know, someone gets killed with a Depeche Mode record. Awesome. So you know, I think I assume only, but um, it's 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 got some great scenes. It's not a great movie, 
but it's well, got sometimes you watch movies because they're aesthetically yeah, pleasing. It's got it's got it's got a a, a pretty fantastic fake one shot action scene. Like it's it's not one shot, but it looks like it's one shot. Okay, so it's not like what is true? Did True Detective have the? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so true Detective or Daredevil mm-hmm. this season of Daredevil episode four or, but boy, it's a great scene. <laughs> it's a, you know sometimes sometimes you can do it just for aesthetics. Now hopefully this is true. There's probably some movie in there. There's a movie that is rated one of the very worst movies ever made. It's called Ballistic X versus Sever. And it's uh-huh. got Antonio Banderas and Lucy Liu in it. Yeah, I think yeah, it is, yeah. Right? Okay, and for some reason, it's named after a Supreme Court case, X versus Sever. They happen to be named X and Sever, but they are not the plaintiff and defendant in the Supreme Court case. And it has nothing to do with Supreme Court case. It's just randomly, I saw it. I'm like, why would you name an action movie against a Supreme Court case? It wasn't anything. Why wouldn't you just anything, call right? it ballistics? Well, just whatever it is, right? But um, and it's a bad movie. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It's a bad movie. But you know what? It is a, 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 an aesthetically beautiful movie, right? It is shot. Who's the director of that one? It's um uh. It, 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 I don't know if it's Ang Lee or it's somebody else, but it's like it's a it's a. It's not Ang Lee. It's, it's like a Korean. It's like a Korean a Korean director. Okay. He has one name. He has one name. Okay. Okay. What's he's? I like, don't know. He's like a you know Prince Cher. This guy has one name and he's a he's a director, um, and um, it's all just it's shot like so prettily. Like all the fight scenes are are choreographed and acrobatic. They have a scene in some mall that's all glass, and of course, some you know black helicopter comes down and shoots it all out, and you have like a million scenes of shattering oh, glass. I, you, know, and stuff. I, I, you know what? I actually have seen it. I, I was like, I don't think I've actually seen this. You movie. blocked it from your memory because yeah. it's a horrible, horrible movie. I think it was like you know Rotten Tomatoes and Razzie's, you know Razzie's sweeper, you know, basically. The director. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so the director's name is Wick Kausayananda. Okay, what's his actual, what does he But he goes him? by Chaos. Chaos. <laughs> chaos. Yes, Chaos is the director. And then he does, cinematographically, it's very nice. It's a terrible movie. He didn't write it. He didn't know K-Jaw with the Frilly Head. So, um, you know, I, I watched that, and that is like universally reviled as one of the worst movies ever. It's got 3.6 on IMDb. So it's bad, right? That is really bad. It's, it's got a 19 on Met, uh, Metacritic. It's one of the worst movies ever rated. I'm telling you. But if you if you watch it, as long as you say I'm not expecting any quality, I just want to see the pretty. Yeah. Of it, there's a fair amount of pretty. Yeah. So um, so Atomic Blonde, I'm sure it's going to be perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, there, there's there's enough to take away from that. Um, off movie that I love. It's on Netflix. You can go watch it as soon as you get home. Have you watched The Night Comes for Us? Mm-mm. So it's guy who did all the fight choreography for the raid okay uh directed this he also he's also in it and it stars a bunch of people from the raid and it's um basically classic guy trying to leave the life crime movie okay not let it not wanting to let him go it is gory it's like it's like it's like splatter punk kick flick like I, I, I don't think this actually happens in the movie, but in my head, somebody gets garroted with their own intestines. No. You know what I mean? Like, like viscera is spilling out in fight scenes. Um, right. It is unbelievable. If you just, if you just want like this over the top kind of like fight, and all the fighting's great, right? It's great, and there's just multiple characters that you're just like, oh no, that's my favorite. Oh no, that's my favorite. Oh no, that's my favorite. Did you like? Did you like- John Wick or John Wick 2 better? I like John Wick better than John I, Wick 2. I did too. I did too. Uh, my friend Paul, who I was talking about earlier, he he actually thinks John Wick 2 is better, which really? I was... Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I feel like John Wick is setting up, does a better job of setting up 
taking a longer view of the universe. So like, I think it's, I think it does a lot of table setting. Some of the characters are weird for me. They're like, um, who's there? Ruby? Was Ruby Rose in there? Is that who played the, the chicken? Yeah. White? Like, I don't under, I didn't really understand her character in there. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know what she was there for, other than to be kind of random long-term protagonist. Like to be like uh, James Bond's villainous henchman. Like right. the, you, know, you just need something to somebody to dislike in the thing. It didn't seem like she had like. I don't know. She didn't seem well developed to be there. She just sure. kind of was there. Like I like in the first one. I like the assa- the assassin chick in the first one that you know w- eventually got got popped and weren't against the Continental and things like that. She was a much better developed character, you know, than uh, than that one. And even in even in uh, Hotel Artemis, um, the woman that you know ultimately oh, does the thing. She was a much more well developed. Well, she's, right? she's just great. Yeah, I, mean, I would I would watch her in any action film. Right. Like so that that they. she... They, I like Ruby Rose a lot though. I really I really enjoy just the. I mean, as, as an actress sort of in the party, the it was cool fun. she brings to everything. Yeah, but I just don't, I don't, I don't understand what the character was supposed to do. Really, I don't think the, the character really advanced what it needed to advance. Sure. what it was supposed to do. So that that kind of that bothered me a little bit on it. Um, and there was like there's one other part that I thought it was a little, but I enjoyed it. I mean, I, just, yeah. I liked one better, I think. Um, so I actually, I, I, I had Audrey watch the first one with me, which you know, her mother doesn't know. But I wasn't watching movies since <laughs> okay, well, I was a kid. And we fingers crossed on that RSS feed. She knows, she knows, she knows <laughs> that it's all, it's all make believe, right? She's yeah, in the yeah, theater, so yeah. she knows nobody's actually really getting yeah, shot, yeah. whatever else. So I sat down to Warner. I'm like, okay, a lot of people get killed in this movie. A lot of people. You, you think I mean it's a lot? It's like seventy-eight murders. Okay, <laughs> so just bear that in mind. They're there. It's not real. She's like, yeah, I know. I'm like, okay. I said, and there's one scene a little bit in that you're gonna be really sad about, right? And that's obviously the dog scene, right? Yeah. When she got it, and when she did, she's like, oh. she's like, oh, the pup. Like, so I'm like, she's like, so that guy. She's like, that guy's gotta die. I'm like, yeah, there you go. Exactly right. So that's what it's supposed to do to you, right there. That guy's child rearing one on one. That guy's gotta die. That guy's gotta die. <laughs> um. And uh, so she watched it. And she didn't, you know, she didn't love it like I love it. But I mean, she liked she liked it a lot, pretty well. I, I haven't I haven't watched two with her yet. Yeah. Um, and she, I think she did watch Hotel Artemis with me though. Yeah. Like not really watched it. It was on. Yeah. And she was kind of paying attention, asking yeah. who people were and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Like she wasn't thrilled when Jeff Goldblum came on screen. I'm like, oh, that Jeff Goldblum was the guy. That's awesome. You know, I was like, I was very happy about it. And she doesn't know who Jodie Foster is. Right. Who I thought was you know pretty pretty darn good in it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah she's great. So. And Dave Bautista is again great yeah, in something. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it was, it was it was well cast. It's one of those. Star- like, Sterling K. Brown, just someone thing. someone you're gonna see, I think, at Academy yeah, Award had, season had for the rest very, of his life. Very strong cast. Just like that was one thing I seen about John Wick. John Wick cast was. Fantastic yeah. for a movie that like it would basically look like a cotton you, candy you, film. You do know? you uh, do you watch Billions? No, I never watched. Okay, it. all right, never mind. But I'm just gonna give you another piece of casting for number three. But so, I gotta get going. Yeah, I gotta get upstairs too. I so I had a chance to go play like Commander all day today, mm-hmm. and uh, I did. I have like eight million deadlines hitting me from every direction. Well, that's a good thing I took two hours. So, yeah. So, <laughs> so this was this was probably a pretty productive. Uh, Use of my time to get myself in 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 the, in the uh, no. to, so I don't feel as bad about missing out on playing magic all day. Yeah, all right. So uh, thanks everybody. This has been Top Eight Magic presents. Hey, nice talking to you. Curmudgeons with cards, cards getting, in, coffee. getting coffee, coffee, or the night of soils betrayal. Glor- glorious <laughs> night of soils betrayal. <laughs> all right, this is John Becker. I'm Brian David Marshall. Hey John, what, what, where are you on uh, Twitter? If people want to follow you, oh, I'm at Grouse House, but it's G R O U S E H A U S, like Bauhaus. So Grouse House, because I like to grouse, and it sounds cooler than H-O-U-S. Yeah. All right. And uh, I'm always uh, at Top 8 Games. Uh, see, you all, see you guys later, and then uh, Mike and I will be back with our uh, Ravnica Legion set review after this.